You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Oz Network as we continue on our recap series of the Terminator franchise. We're at the halfway point as we move into the first movie that no longer exists on the Terminator timeline. It is Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines from 2003. A movie that gets a lot of hate. Is it under, Is it deserved? Maybe, maybe not. We're here to work that out today and continue our love of all things to do with Arnie, all things to do with Kristana Loken, all things to do with Nick Stahl, and of course, all things to do with Brene Russo. My name is <laughs> Ben, and no, I'm not shitting you. And my name is Chief Master Sergeant Colin Hilding. <laughs> hey, it's me. Ah. <laughs> uh... Deleted scenes. They're funny. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm weirdly maybe the most excited to talk about this one. Um, oh, agreed. Because, you know, Terminator has its its origins and its history and it's well regarded. Terminator 2, as we talked about last week, you know, absolute movie classic. One of the greatest movies ever made. And then we get to Terminator 3 and kind of... I joked then and said, like, the first of these movies that no longer exist. But if, if you don't know sort of what's happening with the Terminator franchise, um, you know, ahead of Dark Fate, it's that essentially Dark Fate is a sequel to Judgment Day and that this movie, Rise of the Machine, Salvation and Genesis, no longer exist in the Terminator timeline. They're in a, quote, an alternate timeline. So it's kind of going to be interesting to talk about these ones moving forward, but... Yeah, I, I, I'm very excited to talk about this one because I think you and I both are sort of on that page where we don't think this is necessarily as bad as people claim it is. I think that I just mentioned to you off air that this is such a an intense sort of film in terms of how quickly it goes. Like it just you're sort of enjoying yourself so much in this that you don't realise that the movie's basically over by the time it gets over. And arguably maybe one of the top ten endings in movie history. I mean, that might be pushing it, but it's just the ending of this film still holds up so well. It's such a shock and it kicks you in the guts. And I actually did watch a top 10 list on YouTube in the lead up to this. And they listed top 10 bad films saved by uh, an incredible plot twist. And this was number one on that list. So yeah, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Uh, initial thoughts. Um, I guess I'll, I'll just add history too. I'll say I saw this at the movies. <laughs> I... Yeah. I remember sort of, in 2003, I remember being sort of a very big year for films that you were sort of in the lead up very excited for, like, you know, the Matrix sequels, obviously, that year among many and sort of just a lot of films. I worked, my very first job was in 2003. I worked at a cinema. And I remember this being one of the ones I was most excited for. And obviously, as I've mentioned in Terminator 1 and 2, my dad, you know, sort of loved the first two and was equally excited to see this film with me. And I remember seeing this in a packed night in the opening night and enjoying it. I remember dad and I laughing so hard at so much of these things and talking about it for many days afterwards. My dad would often use talk to the hand uh, numerous times after (laughs) seeing this film. So, yeah. But again, I think we mentioned last week that it's probably been a while actually since I'd seen this movie. So anyway, uh, a lot of things that I've just opened up with then. Over to you, Mr. Hilding. Uh, yeah, I saw it uh, opening night as well, and uh, you know the most surprising thing is, I mean, my my whole family because of Terminator Two, we became such huge fans of Terminator, and just waiting for this movie year after year after year, I, I just remember it's one of these things you got more excited the longer it took them to make the movie. Uh, whereas if this had come out in 1995, 1996, it would be like, oh, cool, there's a Terminator Three. You know, 2003, like 12 years later. 
I mean, this was kind of like our Star Wars or our Avengers uh, for at least my family. And strangely enough, my sister is probably the biggest Terminator fan of, you know, all three of us, myself, my brother, my sister. Like she's obsessed, obsessed with everything Terminator. Uh, And yeah, we all went opening night and also enjoyed it. I mean, uh, you did mention the comedy and I feel like sometimes this movie gets a bad rap because of the comedy, which I have some comments on that as we go throughout on how I think that's kind of an unfair criticism. Uh, but the action is just extraordinary in this as well. And you know, when you're saying like how quickly this movie goes by, I mean, some of it is because there is a lot of action in this. Uh, I don't feel it has more action than Terminator 2 does. I feel it just has less story. But the story you have here is all sort of crammed in as well, and there is a lot of that. Uh this definitely was a movie that was criticized a bit when it came out. It was never one of these movies where people were like, oh, that's a terrible movie. It was sort of like, yeah, you know, that was okay. And what I found, especially in the last couple of years as Terminator Salvation and uh, Genesis have come out is this is experiencing this sort of resurgence of popularity where people aren't necessarily saying, oh, it's the great Terminator movie. But people are saying, yeah, you know what? That was a good sequel. And uh, I also like you mentioned, you know, alternate timeline because um, when I was rewatching it this time, I kind of came up with a bit of a theory, which may be also, you know, inspired by some other movies that have come out over the past summer uh, and uh, how alternate timelines and stuff like that can exist where I'm not quite as offended that they're erasing this from existence anymore. uh, But I'm more uh, excited at the idea that there were probably these ultimate timelines in the Terminator universe even beforehand. I'll, I'll get into more of that later on. But really, if you think about it, this being erased from existence, the only reason why is because they wanted to get Linda Hamilton back. And it's kind of unfortunate that she just decided not to do this movie because if there's anything in this movie that feels kind of tacked on and incomplete, it is just the brief explanation of, oh, she died. It, it doesn't... If there's any reason it doesn't feel enough like a Terminator movie, it's because she's not in it. But that's in no way knocking everybody else that's in it, uh, particularly Kristana Loken and Nick Stahl. I think they're both phenomenal in this movie, and their performances particularly, I think, get better each time you watch it. I think it's not obviously going to be the first time that they have ignored uh, when we get to Dark Bait because they ignored the, the timeline or sort of the continuity because... I'm not sure if you ever watched the Sarah Connor Chronicles. That was done in a, yeah. a direct sequel to Terminator 2 and they ignored Terminator 3. Um, so it's kind of, it's not like they've not done that before. And actually that would, that would be a show I'd love to cover one day. I think, uh, it's been yeah. a long time since I've watched it, but I, I remember loving it. Like I thought it was, it was mm-hmm. done really, really well. So, um, and, uh, Lena Hadley, who's sort of what now more known for Game of Thrones, um, mm-hmm. but just incredible. And obviously from a personal standpoint, Shirley Manson, sort of her first and really only acting, uh, performance did a pretty darn good job, I thought, in season two. So, um, and you know what? I, I religiously watched the first season of that show and for whatever reason, didn't watch anything from the second season. I kind of dropped in halfway through the second season and saw a Shirley Manson episode. And I was just like, what is going on here? Like, it was a very <laughs> big shift in the show. And I got very confused and decided never to go back and watch the second season. Oh, poor Shirley. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, I think we've, we talked about in sort of the, the first and second ones as well. And maybe when we get to next week, why I'm a little bit partial to Salvation is that sort of it's always been that build up to wanting to see the war kind of wanting to see the 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 battle that we've heard so much about in the first two and kind of this movie was targeted a little bit as the war begins you know sort of so you're thinking there's yeah. going to be a little bit more which 
I guess in a way, they're not wrong <laughs> when it comes to the ending, but there's not quite what you're expecting from it. But it's um, it's interesting. And this is also, I think, regarded as Arnold Schwarzenegger's last film before he uh, was governor, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he appeared in Around the World in 80 Days, didn't he? Like, he did, like, a few yeah. little appearances, I believe. Cameo. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned the comedy, and it, it is obviously something that kind of gets criticism, but... Honestly, like, as you said, like, there's so much action going on. Like, there is maybe one or two comedy moments you kind of, uh, really. But I don't know. It, it, it does feel different to the first two movies. There's, there's nothing about that. And, and definitely it does miss Linda Hamilton. Um, yeah. but And she, she was approached to be in this film, uh, but she turned it down. I, I don't know. How do you think this would have gone, though, if they would have been able to get Linda Hamilton? Like, do you, do you think... Because, I mean, we kind of just get a, a, a chase movie going on here. It's more so, not yeah. the first two movies weren't chase movies. But, like you mentioned, there's not a lot of story compared to the other two. But it still kind of works. I don't know where I'm going with this. I guess I... my question is, how would this gone with Linda Hamilton in this film? <laughs> well, I mean, I did say I feel like it, it missed her presence a little bit. But that by no means means that I think it should have been her in a starring role. Because... If you throw her into the Claire role, not John, you know, having sex with his mom or anything, uh, but uh, <laughs> if you had like put her as like on the road with them, this just becomes a rehash of Terminator Two. So I feel like she would have had to have been separate, and maybe be, she she would be similar to like the um, uh, the the David Andrews character at the end, where she sort of appears closer to the end, just trying to get John to safety. Uh, as opposed to trying to stop, you know, Judgment Day or whatever. But I, I, there, there would have been a great way to fit her in this movie. And it, it, I, more than anything, like, I, I walk away from this movie each time just loving Nick Stahl's performance. Uh, I think I mentioned one of the other episodes, he's my favorite John Connor. And I'm, like, you know, a massive, massive Christian Bale fan. So for me to pick Nick Stahl, of all people, over Christian Bale, I mean, that says a lot about his performance. And I think I'm kind of glad that, it's his chance to shine in this movie because uh, we get a completely different character than we got the first time. Uh, and it does set him up to be the leader. And with Linda Hamilton there, I think that may have held him back a little bit, but I mean, some type of supporting role I think would have made this feel a little bit more like Terminator. Although with the comedy, yeah, like you said, a couple of moments, but I don't feel like it's that different from Terminator two. When we get into the opening sequence, which I think is where the majority of the comedy is, I immediately thought of some really ridiculous moments from Terminator 2 that were really no different than what you get here. And if anything, this movie needed it more because it does end so bleak and so dark. And every time you have a movie that's that bleak or that dark, you need to start with a lot of comedy. I mean, The Empire Strikes Back's the best example of that. You know, the first 45 minutes of The Empire Strikes Back, maybe even the first hour, when you combine all the stuff with... Han and Leia and, you know, Chewie and 3PO uh, and then Yoda. I mean, there's more comedy in the first hour of Empire Strikes Back than in all of the Phantom Menace. And then it's just the second half gets so dark. But you need that. So I don't feel like the comedy's misplaced at all. Just a subtle little plug, because, uh, you know, plugs are always coarse and rough and irritating and often get everywhere. <laughs> but... If you're listening to this on the day of release, uh, you'll be pleased, of course, to know. I'm sure you've seen us uh, getting a bit excited for it that our first Star Wars episode is coming out tomorrow. 
uh, with our look oh, at, uh, we better get on that. I know, bloody hell! Quick, tick, tick. Um, so, <laughs> if you think Terminator, if you've got some negative opinions about Terminator Three, then you've probably got some negative opinions about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. But you can listen to that tomorrow on the Oz Network because we're <laughs> bloody fucking excited that we finally get to talk about Star Wars. In, <laughs> no doubt, the first of three parts of <laughs> Star Wars: <laughs> Phantom Menace. Anyway, had to get a plug in there. You mentioned Star Wars, um, and just the casting. Like, I, I, I guess I actually watched this kind of really trying to. Focus on Nick Style because obviously I'd heard your comments, and I, I've never had anything against Nick Style. I, I just keep saying his name because it hasn't been mentioned in like eight years. But um, <laughs> I think that it's interesting, you know, to watch this and kind of hear anything you said. And I, I have to say I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think he's he he does put a lot into this role and really really good. Um, and it's 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 a unique John Connor, I think, out of all of them because you know, fetus John Connor. Don't really see him in Terminator One. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Edward Furlong, you know, probably the, you know the most iconic portrayal of the role. But you know, he's what like twelve, thirteen, uh, and then with Christian Bale, you know, it's kind of soldier John Connor, and I, I feel like that was so overshadowed by the the controversy in the filming with him ranting and raving at the the director. Uh, and then I haven't mm-hmm. seen Genesis yet, so I, I can't comment on that, John Connor. Um, but yeah, I think. Yeah, he does such a great job, and I'm sad that he went on the path of Edward Furlong and doesn't really get heard of much yeah. afterwards. Uh, I mean, Claire Danes is an interesting one because would you say that this kind of rebooted her career? Because, I mean, obviously very yeah. well known as Romeo and Juliet, uh, well, as Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, and then today, clearly, I think most people know her as, as um, on Homeland. And I don't know if you watch Homeland. I'm, I'm a big Homeland fan. Not quite the show it was at the beginning, as often shows turn, but I think, you know, she gets the, the praise she thoroughly deserves in Homeland. She's great. So, uh, you don't think uh, so? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was an interesting noise. <laughs> not, not a Claire Danes fan? Or... <laughs> no, okay, well, I'll start by saying um, my sister was just the right age when Claire Danes broke through with the TV show My So-Called Life. Uh, which was really a show made for like, I don't know, 13 to 17 year old girls. Uh, and I was a little too young to care, but there was no PVRs or multiple TVs for a lot of people back in the nineties. So when she wanted to watch a show, I had to watch it. And I just, uh, I didn't like that show. Uh, I didn't mind her in Romeo and Juliet. Uh, and I really have no problem with her in anything else, but uh, for whatever reason, I, I tried watching Homeland and I think I got through most of the first season. I didn't mind the show, but I uh, I just didn't like her at all. Mandy Patinkin is the only actor in Homeland that I actually really liked. Uh, but her especially, part of it is just her character. Um, I, I didn't care for her character at all in Homeland. Uh, there's a lot of things. I would love to talk about at least the first episode of Homeland. Because I watched that and I'm like, what's going on? Like, not confusion about the show, but th- this is a complete sidebar here. Uh, that show opens with her basically, I think, in her apartment uh guarding all this top secret information on all these computers and she has her blinds right open on street level i'm like this is this makes no sense at all you're the world's worst spy uh so yeah not a fan of her in homeland what about damien lewis you don't appreciate damien lewis oh i didn't like him at all (laughs) over actor her and him and claire danes both big over actors in homeland i think that's my problem Mm, but i I, I I don't mind her I, I yeah, disagree. well, you could be wrong. I, well, yeah, well, you like die another day. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, 
at least at the time of recording this, not liking Game of Thrones also is apparently a bad thing too. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, we'll talk about Claire Danes. Uh, Christina Loken, though, again, names that haven't been heard in quite some time. Uh, what yeah. happened to her? Because, like, this, I mean, this was a big deal. I remember in the lead-up to this sort of having a female yeah. Terminator. It was such a big deal. And we, we, we're in this day and age now where it's all about sort of putting females in these roles and kind of, oh, it's never been done before. But this is this is a prime example of where it has been done before and people seem to yeah. just have this vision of history that they're thinking like, oh, we're so groundbreaking now with Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman because it's never been done before. And I'm not saying Christina Loken is the star of this film, but, I mean, to, to have a female villain in this capacity, not something that is really done a lot uh, in this day and age, but I, I would say that this was very groundbreaking for this type of thing because it, it, it's not portrayed as something that's weaker. It's not portrayed, like you don't watch this film really, even looking at her being any different to any man or any character. And this is what you and I have always tried to say. I think with films like this that you don't need to remind us every five seconds of their gender or what they look like. And this is what you can do with such a role. There's one scene when maybe her boobs get bigger, but that's like done in a playful way because she sees that sign. Obviously, you know, there's a point to that. The rest of it, she's just fantastic. And what happened to Christina Loken? Like, seriously, serious question. Um, I know she did a short-lived tv series that uh aired here in canada called painkiller jane and, and that's pretty much all i know her from outside of that uh but just really quickly commenting on uh what you were talking about about the groundbreaking female villain and everything it, I, I i noticed this about a year ago that there's a lot of this is mostly a marvel thing uh the claims of oh this is the first like captain marvel the first female superhero and everything even though it's been done before, uh, it just hasn't been done, you know, uh, in an um, MCU movie. Hey, we took 21 movies to do it, so let's just pretend that nobody's ever done this before. Uh, Black Panther, the first, you know, black superhero. Jamie and I just finished rewatching Blade, where 90% of the actors in that movie were also black, including the superhero. And that franchise was huge, and that predates even Spider-Man. So I've, I've noticed that there's, like, there's waves of... You know, something's big, and then let's pretend that, that there's it's never existed. You take, right now, a lot of these TV shows that are on right now, like these, uh, uh, let's have a TV show like Blackish, and then let's have an Asian show like Fresh Off the Boat, and this and that. Uh, and they're trying to say, well, you know, there's not enough um, representation. But you go back to the 70s, and half of the shows on TV were shows like The Jeffersons and Sanford and Son and so on and so on. It reaches a point where there's a demand for we need more cultural diversity, and then you get a ton of it, and it's huge for a decade or more, and then it sort of goes away. And you can go back in time, even before Terminator, and see the big craze of female villains, especially around that time. Men in Black 2 did it the year before Mm -hmm. this did. Um, There was huge talk around Attack of the Clones. In fact, there's even concept drawings that before they decided on Count Dooku, they were going to be going with a female Sith Lord. And even the year that followed this, uh, you have something like the Born Supremacy, which, you know, she's not the villain in it, but Joan Allen basically is the main antagonist for that series uh, after that, with both the Born um, uh, Supremacy and Ultimatum after that. So early 2000s, 
this was a thing. It, the, the reason it wasn't such a big deal, you know, uh, just for the TX at the time is because a lot of people were doing it. And then it went away, and now it's like, okay, so now you got to bring it back again. But, um, I mean, uh, the world is not enough. There's another one. Like, the, the 2000s were full of these huge roles for female characters. And I feel like this is actually one of the better ones. And from somebody who's not really a real actress, even let's just call it whether she, because she hasn't appeared in anything or because she doesn't have to act much in this. I think she's one of the real stars of this movie. Mm. And I didn't feel that when I first saw the movie, uh, I remember walking away from it the first time being like, yeah, the TX was good, but she's not you know, nearly at the level of the T 800 or the T 1000. And then I went and saw it a second time. And I'm like, you know what? The TX is actually much better than I thought. And then I saw it a third time. I'm like, the TX is amazing. Uh, I'd put her up there as one of my favorite villains of this decade. Mm. And, and it's something that just improves each time you watch it, much like Nick Stahl's performance. And it's it's interesting just too on sort of that thing you were saying about how it kind of comes and goes and ebbs and flows. I mean, 2003, you know, not necessarily for amazing reasons because obviously a couple of these films really tanked. Uh, but, I mean, you look at some of the big blockbuster female-led movies, you know, you had the, the Lara Croft sequel that year, you had the Charlie's Angels sequel that year, but even Kill Bill came out that year. Um, so, y- you had them yeah. still. And it's like, look, it's not something that is completely brand new in the late 2010s. Uh, same time period, the Chronicles of Narnia. Yep. Huge role for both the, the lead stars as women and for the, the, the villain as being a woman. Yep. Uh, and then there's people who are going to look back and they say, oh, but the women are always villains. Those are the best roles. Yeah, villains <laughs> are in, the best roles. In all roles. these cases. <laughs> yeah, and I would uh, try to find villains for the ones we're lining up here, like the TX or the Witch in the Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, uh, or, you know, uh, Lair- let's even include Lara Croft in there. Try to find roles nowadays that are as good as these. You can't really. Mm, yeah, no, I'd agree. I'd agree. Um, we should get into the movie. Um, and again, I, I guess it is one of these ones where we say it's not really going to take us that long because again, it's, it's very similar to the first two in the fact that it's just kind of chase dialogue, chase dialogue. But even this one, I'd say there's more chasing than dialogue. <laughs> um, so yeah. uh, I, I refer to this as kind of like the Jurassic Park three of the franchise, yeah. which I, I think that kind of holds up better ending in this one though. <laughs> it's not just a man on the beach. Dr. Grant. No, no, no. Uh, and we have no dinosaurs going, Alan. Uh, although that, Alan. That could have worked. <laughs> <Who knows? laughs> uh, so we get, um, I guess, a fairly bleakish start to this movie. It's not like we don't have the over-the-top 90s graphics or 80s graphics. With um, but we get a sort of narration here from um, from John Connor and sort of talking about how the future has not been written and sort of, you know, going over the themes of what we've had in the first two. And kind of we just, we learn that John Connor is um, living off the grid since he prevented uh, Judgment Day, of course, in uh, Terminator 2. We see visions of the future. We see um, aged Nick Stahl with the guns and his army in the future. We see a nuclear bomb destroying the city. Um He's completely leaving off the grid, uh, no phone, no communication so that they can't find him, uh, which, again, makes sense, I think. Um, good luck doing that in 2019. I look forward to seeing how Dark Fate does that. Um, and, you know, we get some great shots again of the visions of the future, sort of in his dreams of the spaceships and the Terminators. Why Why in the future, with all these armies of Terminators, are they just the T-101? Like, why, why are they never the yeah. TX or the T-1000? Yeah. Like, why are they only ever Arnie's model? 
Uh, well, those are it's like the disposable ones. Those are the infantrymen. Okay, right. So, you know, like it, remember you watch Starship Troopers, right? Oh, yeah. The yes. dumb people are just the frontline soldiers. Yeah, the, the and then you got the brain bugs and the bomb bug. That's a movie we need to do. What a movie! Yeah. Um. So we kind of get that. He wakes up and then he's on a bike and he crashes because he sees a deer. Um, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Why not? Uh, then we've got Beverly Hills, uh, and then we've got a very fancy looking shop, and uh, we have our time future ball thing coming in this time. Not in a construction site, or not at the docks. It's in a high end fashion store in Beverly Hills, and it's a woman this time around. There's Christina Loken. And uh, sadly, like, I've just got to say this from the equal opportunity perving aspect. In 1984, we saw Arnold Schwarzenegger's Doodle and Bum. Uh, we saw a bit of Bum yeah. and that. And this time around 2003, it's, uh, I was about to say it's a post-Janet uh, Jackson Super Bowl moment. It's not, actually. That would come just a year after this. So it's not even, you can't even blame it on uh, wardrobe malfunctions. But we get a bit of a glimpse of a bum what was, was this rated this wasn't rated as high though as terminator one and two no, was it was it? pg-13 that oh. was one of the controversies there we go that's the reason behind not seeing uh yeah. christina loken action there but um she's walking down the street and we got this this woman who straight away is like oh my god are you okay should i call 911 um i might argue that out of our first two terminator films uh, do we have the dumbest regular public in this movie like this yeah this moment is like oh my god there's a naked woman i better call 911 <laughs> like, okay um she looks fine literally um but i do i do like you mentioned she's not really an actress but she does have one line as very well kind of like arnie did and oh, yeah. does still like mm-hmm. i like your car and then just kills her steals the car um gets in her sort of leather red sort of jumpsuit thing then um, she connects to a phone to, I guess, get uh, the phone book installed into her mainframe. And she's we see sort of a list of about 10 or so people here. And this is where I kind of think this one's... Sl- I don't say clever because it's not really doing anything different. The first one, obviously, they're trying to find Sarah Connor. The second one, it's about John Connor. And then this one, it's about finding the lieutenants, I guess. So it's kind of something slightly different as different as all the Jurassic parks are because they're on different islands i guess <laughs> still the same movie um, but uh we joked i think in the first terminator about like does does the terminator follow the road rules when they're driving around <laughs> just like looking up i think we get our answer in this movie <laughs> speeding around you know zigzagging around lanes eventually attracts the attention of uh, a cop who pulls her over because, you know, Terminators need to follow instructions by police. Uh, and this is the moment I was talking to you before, uh, before about the boobs when she looks up at the billboard of, like, a Victoria's Secret thing and makes her boobs bigger to get the attention of the cop, and to which she replies with, I like your gun. <laughs> oh, that's great. And so, like, she only has about five lines in this entire movie, but they're all great. Um, and then poor old cop's going to be killed. Uh, we meet, uh, Claire Danes, aka Kate Brewster. Uh, she's out shopping with her, uh, lovely fiance of Scott Mason, played by the esteemed Mark Famigaletti, uh, who, let's be honest, we talk oh. about people going on to bigger and better things. I mean, we could sit here and list all of Mark Famigaletti, Mark's. <laughs> What, Marky, what, what's he been in here? Let's see. Oh, he, he's just done the the TV rounds of the two thousands. He was in CSI. He was in Cold Case. He was in CSI Miami. He was in Without a Trace. He's just 
literally done the uh, bones. The bones. He's in the who's who of all the TV shows of the uh, the late two thousands. Uh, but we find out that they're engaged. We get a sort of a subtle little line there from Kate. Oh, I hate machines. Um, uh, Kate's dad rings and he's uh, in the military. We're going to find out later. Find out he's in the air force. Uh, he's meant to be coming out to see uh, Kate on the weekend, but he can't. They're having computer problems. Uh, so, you know, we'll have to meet him another day. And then we sort of get a shot here of them at this military installation. Then we find out there's a worldwide computer virus that has taken over half of the world's computers. Um, a guy suggests that they use Skynet because this will uh, completely erase the computer virus. But dear old Daddy Brewster's a little bit uh, sceptical because then Skynet will be in control of everything and one thing will be controlling of all of our uh, systems. So that would be bad, wouldn't it? Um, and he's not sure that Skynet is ready. Meanwhile, Arnie comes back, uh, naked Arnie. I uh, don't really see much of him, sadly. No Arnie doodle. Um, John Connor, we see him getting dropped off and uh, breaking into a vet to steal some pills because he was injured in his crash against the deer, I guess. And then Arnie goes into a bar. Uh, <laughs> very similar to our Terminator 2 scene. Um, with uh, additional MC Gainey here. I don't know if you picked up on the guard here at the door. Uh, has appeared on the Oz yeah. Network. Download our uh, interview with MC Gainey. Uh, of course, uh, Mr. Friendly from Lost, amongst many other things, was in Country Bears. Um, if you want to hear MC Gainey <laughs> talk about his role in the iconic Disney film Country <laughs> Bears, then download our interview with him. Um, but uh, here's the guard there at the door. And Arnie walks inside, and it's ladies' night at this bar, and there's... <laughs> oh, this scene's hilarious. All the women looking up and down. I love sort of Arnie's vision when he's looking at the first MC Gainey, and it's like, no match. And what does he look at, like, one woman, and it's, like, uh, inappropriate or something like that, it says for the yeah. clothes. <laughs> and then he walks up to this stripper who comes on stage, all the women going crazy, finds out that the clothes are a match. Arnie's, take off your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, like, wait your turn. This guy is very campy. Um, basically, take off your clothes. <laughs> and then he responds with, which obviously is going to play a bit of a part later on, talk to the hand, to which Arnie grabs the hand and says, take off your clothes now. <laughs> so good. And then as he leaves the bar, he's in the uh, in the leather outfit, kind of similar to Terminator 2. We're like, oh, great, they've recreated this scene. Of course, looks into the pocket to put the sunglasses on, and it's like this Elton John star sunglasses, <laughs> to which he kind of has his look. It's like, mm, no, I don't think so, and throws them on the ground and treads on them. So funny. Uh, and then he ends up stealing a car, which I kind of like that little nod to Terminator 2 when he looks under the visor, obviously probably for keys. I guess, I don't know if that like pro, I know he's a different sort of uh, Terminator to the one that we had in Terminator 2, but I'm not sure if that's kind of like programmed into him after he learned that from John. Um, puts on sunglasses, drives off. Uh, and I might sort of just go through a few things here. Uh, so Kristana, our TX, we'll just call her. That's what she is. Uh, she's obviously picking off uh, the lieutenants one by one. She goes to the drive-thru for Jose Barrera, who apparently has his full name on his name tag because... <laughs> <laughs> Every single <laughs> time I go into McDonald's, it's not just Jose, it's Jose Barrera. <laughs> kind of got himself to blame there for getting himself killed, I think. Um, meanwhile, she goes to a, a party at a kid's house who 
I love how there's like a little robot dog there. They were the thing in the early 2000s. Um, some kid gets shot because him and his sister are going to be part of the resistance in the future. And poor old Claire Danes, meanwhile, gets woken up because there's an emergency at the clinic and we're going to find out that she's a vet um, or a vet assistant. Is she a vet or a vet assistant? Or is she just... I think she's an assistant. Because it's kind of... But she drives the car. She does. But kind of when she comes in with this woman, she she's asking where the vet is. And she's like, yeah. I will... Yeah. I don't know. So, sick cat coming in. <laughs> so, uh, and she rushes in and then she finds John Connor. Well, she finds the drugs on the ground and then John Connor comes in and stops her because uh, he doesn't want her to call 911. Uh, he's got a gun, but we find out it's a paintball gun because badass Kate Brewster um, reckons that these drugs are going to castrate him, steals the gun, locks him in a cage. Then we meet some woman who whose cat Hercules has got pneumonia. <laughs> Poor Hercules. Um, and maybe maybe one of these things that make... There's, a, there's definitely a couple of moments in this movie that do make you go, holy crap, coincidence.com, because... He just happens to be a person who she made out with in Mike Kripke's basement, um, and she happens to know him, so it's kind of convenience there. And we are going to find out later on that they made out together the night before uh, the the events of Terminator Two. Um, so Kate's talking to her a little bit about that. We got, we get a bit of a background there because sort of she's all like, "Well, what happened to you? You were just at school and then you weren't there." And obviously, I, I do kind of like that little bit of gap filling in because I guess you kind of think like a little kid, well, sort of a teenage kid, just disappears the next day. People are going to be questioning that. Um, and then we hear a woman getting shot. I might just kind of cap it there before we get to the chase uh, to sort of you know go through everything there. But um, yeah, I mean it's solid beginning there's nothing groundbreaking here but um we, yeah we get a great well moment with the sunglasses it's really all just rehash of the first two terminator movies i mean at least this original trilogy the first half hours the only difference is the actors portraying the characters you have you know the arrival of the terminators in identical ways each time uh them getting their clothes off of somebody uh the villains by attacking somebody and the heroes by going into a bar basically um and then when you're introduced to the hero you have the uh the the slow extermination of people around them like in the original it was let's kill all people named sarah connor and now it's let's kill all the lieutenants or whatever uh, it's just the same opening we've seen before and i'm not going to fault the movie for it i mean that's what the first one did that's even what the second one did but i mean yeah this you know, strip club scene is hilarious. I don't care what people say. Uh, <laughs> this is one of the highlights of the movie. Uh, and it does sometimes get too much criticism for just being too funny. But I'll also say, look at the Empire Strikes Back and see, what about the introduction of Yoda? Like, that's not too funny. He was uh, a stripper. And, and Luke was... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Make your uh, turn, for you Yoda. <laughs> Wait your turn. And talk to you must do. <laughs> Uh, but um, I, I love the scene, and I'm going to make the argument it's not that much funnier than what we get even in Terminator 2. I mean, in Terminator 2, we have them going into the bar, you know, basically making the same type of uh, comments. It's just it's bikers this time, so it's kind of playing on the humor of, oh, these big bikers are about to get a hand to them. Uh, and then he walks out to bad to the bone. Now, I- I'm sorry. If Terminator 3, Terminator 4, or Terminator 5 had 
Arnold Schwarzenegger, after getting dressed, walking out to bad to the bone by George Thorogood as they hop on a motorcycle, they would be saying, that's dumb. But because it was in Terminator 2, it's acceptable. But Terminator 2, that's played as a huge joke. I mean, it's it's Arnold Schwarzenegger stepping on a motorcycle to George Thorogood, a Terminator riding to George Thorogood. That's a goofy joke. And the, the gag with the talk to the hand, how is that any different to – Put your leg down from Terminator 2 when he's holding his leg up the whole time when he's about to start a fight. The comedy is no different. It's just it's very concentrated here in just the opening part of the movie instead of being spread out as much as it is. It is. And I don't really don't find any of the jokes here. between The sunglasses may be a little bit cheap, but it got a huge laugh. And I, I, I always laugh when I see it. Uh, and, and it also gives you that good moment later on when he actually gets to pick his own sunglasses out, too. Mm-hmm. Um Oh, you're getting bored already. Jesus, we're only half an hour in. What's going on? um, Anyways, so one thing I'm disagreeing with you on is uh, the the coincidence you talk about. The movie addresses the coincidence of, oh, you just happened to run into Kate just as Judgment Day is about to happen. Uh, Because I think she brings that up or or somebody brings it up. or It might have been him, and he's saying, you know, if, if I hadn't had the T-1000 come after me, I would have still been in school the next Monday and then you and I would have gotten together again. She kind of mocks us, ooh, it must be fate or something. And the same movie plays on the thing with Judgment Day when the Terminator is talking to him and he says, uh, you know, uh, we stop Judgment Day. He goes, Judgment Day is inevitable. You could only prevent it or you could only prolong it. And I think that's kind of the same thing. There's certain things that are just set in stone. This is going to happen one way or the other. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen. And this being the last thing before Judgment Day it was going to happen one way or the other. So I don't look at that more as coincidence. If it is kind of coincidental, I think the movie does a decent enough job of explaining it. Uh, I also wanted to um, just mention the, the, um, the fiance guy here. This guy, this is the best motto of this movie. Like seriously, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this guy really sucks hard. I'm sorry to say it. Uh, not only is he dull and you wonder what does she see in this guy in the first place, but when he is playing the TX playing him, it's just kind of weird and creepy and I don't like it. Take it, it, it makes her. me feel like I hope you find her. I, I, it just makes me feel really uncomfortable and I don't know why. I don't like this guy at all. I'm sorry if you're going to come on the show. But I was going to mention MC Ganey. Now, did you put that on the best of episode? Because I don't think I listened to the original interview there, with him, but I remember the Country yeah, Bears clip. The, yeah, the Country Bears snippet he's on, was on the best of episode from last year. Yeah. yeah. Definitely one of the, the highlights of the interviews we've done here. <laughs> uh, that was a great I need to realize... listen to that interview. Like, seriously, that full on interview is one of the funniest interviews I've ever been a part of. It was so funny. And I didn't even realize it was him until I was watching the end credits. And I see MC Ganey. I'm like, wait, who is he in this? And I realized, oh, the guy, the doorman. Like, it didn't recognize him right at the start of the episode or, or uh, the movie here or anything. Um, I think that uh, you know, the TX's introduction, uh, well, <laughs> I, I joked to Jamie. I'll just, I'll be completely forthcoming. I joked to Jamie when she, you know, first appears. I'm like, this is the best part of the movie right here. <laughs> So when I was talking about my appreciation for the TX, she was just in the other room and she actually came into the room and she was just sort of like going like raising her eyebrows at me. I was like, yeah, I bet you want to elaborate. (laughs) But I legitimately do appreciate the performance of Kristana Loken uh, because she's just in the other room. She's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. 
Yeah, just, you know, and, Jamie, let's get you on to do a Magic Mike episode and see how much you would, the performance of Channing Tatum. Yeah, need I remind you all the terrible things you said <laughs> when Arnold Schwarzenegger was nude in the first two movies? Um, I did not watch this one with her. Uh, well, I watched the opening with her, I guess. <laughs> uh, enough before she decided to give up. Uh, anyways, there's something really creepy about her character. And I think she fulfills that role of being a scary villain, and I didn't quite appreciate it the first time I saw it or even the second time, but it it just grows – I'll, I'll mention this over and over again. Things that just – the more you watch it, the more subtlety you see because uh, with both Arnold Schwarzenegger and Robert Patrick's performances, the, there's the little subtle things they do, which I'll, I'll call back to uh, you know, the, the surveillance camera head turn that Schwarzenegger worked in his or the, the, the kind of suspicious dog – animal head tilt and she does both of those things and then incorporates her own things like just the look that she gives when she says i like your car like it's really creepy uh and when we get closer to the end i feel like she's definitely one of the scarier villains of this time period probably the last great scary terminator villain too because there's nothing scary about salvation or uh genesis well there's a lot Um, scary about genesis but that's just the movie yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but um, yeah, you know, the boob thing—it's it also does make sense in a way. I'm, I'm not going to be one of these people explaining why they had her chest inflate, uh, as if this is just oh, this is guys explaining. But the Terminators are meant to blend in, and even from the T800 to the T1000, the idea was is that he was the T1000 was supposed to be more human-like, which is why we had him doing things like smiling and. He's a good-looking boy. You mind if I keep this picture? <laughs> Those things. They even say he's meant to be more human-like. And even in this movie, Schwarzenegger has things where he's programmed for psychology and to understand humans more. And she's looking at a billboard for what is sexy, and she's like, how am I going to get rid of this police officer? Well, let me give him what he wants. And when it doesn't work, I like your gun, and she obviously kills him. I love the way she says, I like your gun. Like, again, it terrifies me in a ways. Mm. Uh and um, what else do we talk about here? Oh, yeah, the, the John Connor wiping out on the bike to avoid hitting a deer. It is There's a lot of the opening sequence with John Connor's narration, just the cutting back and forth. Some of it works and some of it doesn't. I feel like John wiping out should have been its own separate scene because it all is sort of playing as is like it's supposed to be flashbacks and flash forwards. And then when he wipes out on the bike, I'm thinking, did this happen six months ago? It's just an awkward first five minutes of the movie. I mean, everything else after that's great. Uh, when he goes into the kennel, obviously, you know, Kate is, um, uh, you know, uh, she's not being real with him. She's not being honest. She's like, you know, we use this to chemically neuter dogs. But again, it's another funny moment because, uh, wait, what? <laughs> what did I get myself into here? Uh, but yeah, I, I, I do have to wonder. The gun looks real. She has no reason to believe that it's a paintball gun. <laughs> She shoots the man. <laughs> she could be a murderer, and she's just like, oh, next time bring a clue, not a paintball gun or whatever. She didn't know it was a paintball gun. She flat out could have murdered a man right there. She's a big paintball uh, aficionado, she, so she she clearly knew. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she could identify it on sight, yeah. Uh, also, little subtle things you do this story because I mentioned how so much – there is a lot of plot in this movie, but it, it almost expertly gets crammed into an hour and 45 minutes by things like the 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 scanner she's trying to use at her wedding registry not working 
and other little glitches that only slowly start appearing before the movie even tells you that this is Skynet. They start setting those things up early in the movie. And, and I like the shift in this movie that they modernize it in a way where it's like Skynet's not what you think it is. Skynet's just a computer virus and it's basically on the interwebs. Interwebs, yes. I think with the coincidence thing, though, I think I see what you're saying. I mean, there is just, it's not just this moment. There's, there's the moment that really I think kind of is, you, I really question how that was a thing is how the hell do the cops end up at that graveyard? And so, like, there's no clue that they were heading to that graveyard. And I know I'm jumping well, ahead here, but... <laughs> I, I The closest thing, and this is, I'm not... I do agree with you. Maybe the movie, just like it could have done a better job setting up John's accident, it could have done a better job setting up uh, why the police were there. There is the shot where they leave the gas station, and they clearly shows they're driving away her... What does her van license, a vanity plate say? Um, it's like vet, one pet, or something. Pet, pet vet or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is, it's, it's a very obvious, ooh, this is a license plate that's easy to track, and the guy's looking right at it. A guy who decides not to report theft, but he reports a woman screaming, help, help. Yeah. So, <laughs> we'll get I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead. Um, so, yeah, so we've had uh, sort of Kate uh, approaching John, and then we hear the gunshots. And then we see that uh, Chrisana showed up <laughs> and sort of all the other people that she shot first, she's asked their names before shooting them. This woman, she just shoots first and then is like, Catherine Brewster. <laughs> so poor old Hercules' mum. Where's Hercules in this point? Like, is the little cat Hercules dead? Um, but also, I like this, uh, what she does, how she sort of tastes the blood. And kind of, you know, so the way she sort of, Catherine Brewster leans down, tastes oh, the yeah. blood, and is like, no. Um, and I agree with you. Like, she's scary. The way she kind of tilts her head and is just like, no. And then just, like, walks off. It's just it's so sinister and scary. Um, so in the other room, um, everyone's hiding. And then she sees blood, uh, sort of a, a gal's thing on the ground, picks it up, tastes it. Then she realizes that it's John Connor's blood, and she sort of has a... she orgasms a little bit because she's like yeah (laughs) which also is kind of scary yeah because obviously at this point like we're thinking that she's sent back to get john again but obviously she isn't Hmm. because john's off the grid we don't know where john is so it's kind of here she is she's stumbled across this um finds kate goes off at her you know john connor's here tell me and then um arnie comes in full on in a car and smashes poor old christana and this all is eventually going to lead us into this epic car chase, but sort of little moments here. I like it when Arnie's like, Catherine Brewster shoves her in the car. And then it's like, you know, tell me where John Connor is. If you tell, if I tell you, will you let me go? Yes. <laughs> she's like, he's in the back of the dog cage. It locks the car. You said you'd let me go. I lied. <laughs> I just love that. Um, we get the arm coming up from the rubble and we sort of see this liquid metal mixed with steel and just it's, it's such a great looking shot. There's there's definitely some special effects in this movie that do not hold up. But I think there are very, very few moments. Like this is looks like a great shot. And I think the early 2000s are getting criticised a lot now for a lot of special effects not holding up. But um, yeah, this one, this looks fantastic the way she's sort of coming up from the, the rubble. Um there's a, there's a fight going on here. Arnie comes up, sees John Connor. Um, it is time to kill me. No, you must live. Uh, we, you, there's actually no point in this movie. We do not get to come with me if you want to live. There's a sort of a a version of it. Semi. Semi. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we don't get an I'll be back. We get a she'll be back and I'm back. 
So uh, we also didn't get a Hasta La Vista baby. We get a baby La Hasta La Vista. Um, that's a bad joke, Ben. <laughs> Just move on. Um, so John gets in the car, drives off. Um, doesn't realise that Kate's in the back. Arnie's being knocked out and the firefighters come. I'm just going, where's it gone? A ton. Uh, and then we also learn that um, Christana's TX's um, sort of model that she's got around, she can hack cars and other machines and set them off, which is a cool little quirk. I like that. Um, she also hears a, a hacks into the police 911 system to hear Kate calling 911 so she can obviously know where she's going to be. But she then steals a crane. Uh, which leads us into this epic chase. Uh, Arnie steals a bike again. Uh, Kate makes herself known to uh, John. Uh, and then we, we talk about the dumb side characters in this movie. So John ends up rear-ending this guy. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's awesome. I was going to say, this guy is so dumb, but maybe one of my favourite characters in this movie the way he gets out of the car is like, oh, man, oh, this is my company car, asshole. And then he like goes, up, what are you trying to do? And then John's trying to explain it. He's just like, shut up! <laughs> I wrote that. I'm like, first of all, he's like, if you don't have insurance, I'm going to rip your balls off. And he's like, shut up! Who's back there? He starts asking, oh, shut up! He keeps asking questions. He's like, shut up! What's your name? It's John. Shut up! <laughs> And Whose car is this? It's, it's actually her. Shut up! <laughs> and he eventually goes to drive off. Get back here, asshole! And then like, these cops, he's like, hey, hey, over there, over there, over there! Can, can you see what else this guy's been in? Oh, what's he, what is he, like, angry? Shut up! <laughs> I want to know what this character's name is. He's just shut up, guy. <laughs> Um, I don't know. There's, there's Mr. Jones, Mr. Smith. Um, he's not a detective. He's not Jose Barrera. Angry man. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Billy D. Lucas is his name. <laughs> Best known for Terminator 3. Stunt. He's a stunt man. So, uh, obviously oh. he's... <laughs> as an actor, he's been in so many things, but he's been uncredited. So... Um, he was a driver in Bobby Z, uncredited. Uh, he was agent FBI at the plane in Cliffhanger, uncredited. Henchman in Universal Soldier, uncredited. Uh, he was boxer in Rocky Five. <laughs> so, he was SWAT cop in Last Action Hero. Uh, so, uh, oh, it's the second movie of the year. Oh, so good. Angry Man, you are great. Um, but yeah. this, this car chase is pretty cool. Uh, you know, we talked oh, yeah. about last week sort of how the the one in Terminator 2 is probably the best of the series. But this is up there. I mean, this crane, just the scenes when uh, she has the crane kind of sideboards and knocking all the cars as they go flying up. Then when sort of Arnie's hanging onto the crane and crashing through the building is epic. Uh, Arnie's getting flung onto the, the fire truck. I'll drive. Um, and just everything that comes about it is so cool. And I, maybe the only bit, and this is maybe one of those special effects that doesn't quite hold up. It's not like Mummy Returns Scorpion King level of bad. But when yeah. the, the crane eventually hooks into the manhole and kind of flips up, there's there's a few moments there where you're like, oh, that doesn't look too good. But it's not terrible, terrible. But I still think this whole chase sequence is awesome. And we also get... Some moments here when Arnie gets back into the car with John, and I think kind of good, 
good plot sort of explanation here when John Connor's kind of like, you know, don't you remember me? And he's like, we are all different on the assembly line. Um, and sort of just a bit of explanation going on there. I love it when he grabs John Connor and he's like, no sign of brain trauma. Um, and, <laughs> he's peeling his eyelids back. <laughs> and then I also love the bit when, like, Kate, uh, you know, she opens the thing. Are you okay in the back? And he's like, trap dead, you asshole! Negative. I am unable to comply. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just so good. And then we, we learn here that, because um, John's sort of saying we need to drop her off at the next exit, and he's saying that she needs to survive as well. Uh, and we learn about the lieutenants that they've all got to be protected. This is why uh, the TX has come back. We learn a little bit about the TX, that she's a different model. She can control other machines. Um, And then we also learn that Judgment Day wasn't cancelled. It was only postponed. It is inevitable. uh, And that they're here to protect them, essentially, once again. So that's kind of a cool little moment there that uh, they didn't actually prevent Judgment Day. And uh, I'll probably just cap it here. Um... When he changes his battery cell, which is basically a mini hydrogen bomb. Um, and uh, we learn that, yeah, the TX is a faster, more intelligent uh, model. I'm an obsolete model. Uh, is this a bit when he says, like, you're a robot cybernetic organism? <laughs> like, he gets a bit yeah. snappy. And, yeah, one of, one of my favorite lines is, like, you've got to be shitting me. No, I am not shitting you. <laughs> So I might leave it there. I sort of, I've really gelled over the car chase, but um, I mean, it, it's epic. Like it's, it's really yeah. a great car chase, and it's one of these ones where I can't even do it justice if I explain it. Uh, yeah, the the car chase first. Uh, I want to give total credit to Jonathan Mostow here, the director, because I mean, it's big shoes to fill to replace James Cameron in the first place, and especially replacing James Cameron in a Terminator movie. I mean, this is what James Cameron made his career on. And I think he does an incredible job with the action in this. And I don't feel like the action ever really tops this opening car chase. I think this is the best action sequence of the movie. And it runs on for a long time, too. But uh, even though it's a pretty simple movie and most of Jonathan Mosso's filmography is more B-movies. Like, did you ever see the movie U571 he made, the submarine movie with Matthew McConaughey? Lord, that's a blast from the past. Yeah, a long time ago. I couldn't remember it, though. Yeah. I mean, really good movie, but, you know, your typical early 2000s, you know, action war movie. Uh, he made a movie with Bruce Willis called Surrogates uh, after Terminator 3. Not, not a great movie. Oh, no, movie. he wasn't a director, sorry. He was an executive producer. Never mind. Producer, yeah. Uh, but Oh, overall, Breakdown. He, he did does... Breakdown. Sorry, I love Breakdown. Kurt Russell, you great movie. That? Yeah, I love Breakdown. Nice. That's a great movie. All right. Another, M- another, M- another MC Gainey film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you talk to him about that one? I did actually, because I I I, oh, I, nice. I think I said to him that was a random, real love of that film. So yeah, and you did talk about Terminator Three. We could have could have played the clip right now. Well, we we play, I know I talked to him about Mighty Ducks. <laughs> <But> <laughs> of course, <laughs> um, but yeah, like this the sequence. There's a lot of things that Jonathan Masso does in this movie that sets it apart from the other movies in a clever way. And one is the vehicles. And I think it was in his director's commentary or one of the makings of he talked about that he didn't want the iconic flashy vehicles that everybody had seen a million times, especially coming off of Terminator 2 where everybody knows the giant semi-truck. Everybody knows the motorcycle. Everybody knows the helicopter, the armored car. So he went out of his way to put them in this tiny little dinky veterinarian's van 
for the opening car chase of the movie. And then later he's like, well, now I'll put them in an RV and now I'll put them in a hearse. And it's not like jokes. It's just let's put them in the least threatening cars and the cars that in some ways will actually bring more suspense to the movie. Because if Arnie here was driving, you know, uh, a giant monster truck, you're not going to be as on the edge of your seat as you are as being chased down by a crane as if you're he's driving probably the weakest possible vehicle on the road, which is great. Uh, and then just the way that some of these, I say stunts, because they actually were like partial stunts. And it, this goes back to what you're saying about the effects holding up better in this than a lot of movies of the time period. Because there's a really good balance and combination of CGI, just like Terminator 2, CGI, uh, animatronics, makeup effects, practical stunts. Uh, so some of the stuff where you know he's smashing into the building, it's not actually Arnie holding on to that, but they are smashing a crane through a building. And I feel like this entire car chase, everything you see, it's not just your typical let's have a car flip over. It's let's have a crane knocking over streetlights. And then let's have this car chase going on, not through a residential neighborhood, but actually driving on people's lawns, which mm. I thought was fantastic. Uh, everything is just a little bit more unique than what you see in your typical not just Terminator movie, but any type of action movie. Uh, going back even further than that, the the orgasm face that <laughs> the TX makes, it is fantastic and, and, and so creepy too. Uh, and it sets her apart because I know there's a lot of complaints about the ending uh, emotion that you see when she is just in the TX robot form uh, when she's about to die at the end, saying that there's too much emotion there. But this shows... There is a level of emotion built, not emotion that's built into the machines, but some type of imitation of emotions. Because her reaction to that is like, <gasps> it's John Connor, right? Which is, even a machine is going to be like, wait a second. It might compute, but that's not what you were expecting. Um, and uh, just the the plot of uh, taking out the lieutenants too, it makes sense. It's more than just, well, here's the cheap thing. And now they're going to take out the lieutenants. Because they already tried to take out John twice. And the fact that John starts this movie by saying he's completely off the grid, it would make sense that if they're going to go back to now, right before Judgment Day is going to happen, let's take out all the second and third and fourth hand you know, men he has uh, and women and wives. <laughs> second and third and fourth wives that John <laughs> Connor had. Uh that would be a logical thing to do. Like, think about it in terms of, you know, the the war on terror, or whatever. They took out a lot of associates and generals and lieutenants of Saddam Hussein, or not Saddam Hussein. Well, Saddam Hussein and um, uh, Osama bin Laden before they ever got to Hussein or bin Laden as well. Uh, so I actually really like that plot. I almost wish that they would have gone a little bit further with that too. Maybe even salvation you wonder how does this corrupt the timeline and going back to what I said about Terminator three being erased from existence between the conversation that John and Kate have um, where he says, and that this might be a little bit further ahead where, you know, if uh, I hadn't, you know, left that next day, then you and I would have gotten together. Then uh, it also makes you wonder here, well, they're taking out lieutenants and stuff like that, that in their timeline were still alive. So now they have successfully changed the timeline in some way. And then it got me thinking, what if Reese coming back in time was not what the original timeline was? What if some things were always set in stone? John Connor was going to be born. It wasn't necessarily John Connor 
genetically that is 50% Kyle Reese's son, but just the the son that was raised by Sarah Connor because John Connor would be whoever he was raised to be, not who he genetically is. I started to think, what if there was an original timeline before all this time travel started happening where Sarah Connor had a son with whatever that guy's name is that ditched her <laughs> in the opening of Terminator 1, and he grew up to be the leader of this resistance, and he met Kate some other way, and then we have it a completely other timeline. So They could explain think- that in Dark Fate. That could could be what it is. That's probably what it's going to be, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's fun to think about all these different timelines instead of just that's the greatest thing about time travel movies instead of simply saying oh this is a plot holder like no just a separate timeline <laughs> uh, <laughs> Avengers um, what else did I have uh, here anything else in the crane chase yeah that that shut up guy is <laughs> so funny such a huge shut over actor <laughs> shut up <laughs> and it's just to me it's just the fact that he won't let him answer the question it's like who's back there it's a shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just come back in a future movie too. Shut up! I want him to come on an interview so we just ask him if you could track this guy down. Say we will pay you twenty dollars Canadian, <laughs> which I have in my wallet right now, so we can ask you questions about the film of Terminator Three, and you just tell us to shut up in the middle of each question. I will pay twenty dollars for that if you could track him down. So Billy Day Lucas, I was like, shut up! <laughs> Uh, yeah, when he's peeling back his eyelids, no sign of brain trauma. That's great stuff. Uh, again, that scene's no goofier than the chill-out dickwad that we got in Terminator 2. It's basically, again, the same conversation. Uh, the the Judgment Day being inevitable, you know, I love that twist. When he says he's an obsolete design, it's not like they're playing on the age of the Terminator, but I like that John's not defended by a top-of-the-line model anymore. He's even coming right out and saying, you know, I stand no chance against the TX. Uh, it's like, I'm just here to get you to safety. Uh, I'm I'm somebody who's going to run and hide in a hole with you. Uh, maybe the most underrated Arnie moment in this whole movie is when um, they're having a conversation about, uh, you know, the, the, the TX or what she is and everything. And Kate's banging in the background and he goes, relax. And he goes again, relax. <laughs> Almost like, shut up. <laughs> I've just forgot about that. <laughs> that that is that is the scene they showed uh, when he was on the campaign trail for governor. Um, it was like, all right, everybody, I show you a famous scene from all my movies. Relax, relax. I'm like, oh, California, relax, relax. Don't do it when you want to get to it. Uh-huh. I don't know if we covered the scene where John's talking to Kate here. We kind of indirectly, we might as well talk about it anyways, uh, where she's saying like uh, about the basement and all that. And uh, I love John's reaction. This is just his one like typical guy reaction here. He goes, wow, I must have made like some kind of impression on you. or something. <laughs> like, he's just, yeah, pat myself on the back. She's like, the only reason I remember is because you were in the papers the next day for killing your parents or whatever. Uh <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. Uh, what was the last part we were you talking about there? Uh, just when he blew up the, um, uh, just, just before the gas station is kind of where I ended it. He, oh, when he, when he ben, said, I, I'm not shitting you. Okay. Okay, Ben, relax. Relax. <laughs> I want to, I want to re-edit Frankie goes to Hollywood relax. So it's like, relax. 
Don't do Bye. it when you want to get to it. Relax! Don't do it. <laughs> oh, if only it wasn't copywritten. Um, the, you were talking about like alternate timelines and sort of who could be her um, John's dad. I think we need to go back to the first movie and have uh, that Ginger's boyfriend. You know, I'm going to bust you up, man! Like... <laughs> I'm going to knock you up, girl. <laughs> I'm going to go back and plow your mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old days. Uh, and let's just take a brief what? moment. <laughs> let's just take a brief moment in time to, to mention Renee Russo. I feel like we've... Yes. <laughs> I feel like we've gone long enough without talking about her. Renee Russo, everyone. Rene Russo. Billy Lucas here or whatever. Did he ever do stunts in a Rene Russo movie? <laughs> Probably. Uh, everyone's done stunts in a Rene Russo movie. <laughs> uh, he was Rene Russo's stunt double in Lethal Weapon 3. He was. They, they look very, very... Seriously, this guy has done a lot of stunt movies. Like, <laughs> Jesus, you need to look at this. Uh, there is a lot on this list. Um, so, yeah, we go to the... The gas station. We're about to get to the infamous talk to your hands. <laughs> talk to my hand scene. Uh, I just love the shot of a stone-faced Arnold Schwarzenegger walking through a gas station with a basket, just grabbing everything, <laughs> shoving it. He's in. not even looking. Just a grabbing it, bang, bang, bang. Uh, we sort of these subtle little moments that you mentioned before about like machines not working. We've got the sign up in the gas station saying "credit cards down, cash only." Um, and then, uh, he's, what did, what does the guy on the phone say? This gas attendant say like, man, this is whack. Nothing's working all day. Like, this is, this is whack. <laughs> the, un, the, uh, forgotten about 2003 catchphrase that all the kids were saying. Uh, <laughs> and then we get the moment that I think this is the most hated moment from this movie. Is it not when, um, this guy's like, Hey man, are you going to pay for all that? Um, to which Arnie turns to the kid, holds out his hand, talk to the hand. Now, you talked about people laughing in the cinemas. I don't think I've ever seen my dad laugh so hard uh, <laughs> in a movie as he did in this moment. My dad loved this moment. And um, again, as I said earlier, he quoted that line. He still will. He'll still bring that up. Um, but as I mentioned before, this kid, this pimply-faced gas kid, doesn't think to report him to the cops because he's just walked out with, like, $50 worth of beef jerky and stuff. It's only when Kate comes out of the car, help me, help me, help me, does she, he decide to call the cops. So, um... Does he cover up the theft when they arrive, too? Yeah, there was a girl, they kidnapped her or whatever. Did he do anything else? No, he paid for his beef jerky like a good customer would. <laughs> He's just sneakily sneaking some beef jerky on the side, so it's kind of... It's, yeah. you know, uh, I think this is that conversation you were talking about between Kate and uh, John in the back of the car. Oh, yeah. I, I like it when Kate's like, oh, you still think that bad boy thing works for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is, yeah, that coincidence. I, li- I, I do like the delivery that Claire Danes gives. She's like, oh, it was coincidence. It was meant to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then, oh, the beloved fiancé of Kate Brewster is about to die. <laughs> How long's he been sleeping for? Like, it's got to be at least midday by now. This guy's a lazy shithead. Yeah. <laughs> He's still in bed. Uh, wakes up and then uh, he gets murdered brutally by a drill or something like that. And then, yeah, the cops just show up and the creepiness of Mark Famigletti 
I'll help you find her. Uh, yeah, it's pretty lame. Uh, Arnie's driven them to a graveyard, and we find out um, that Sarah Connor died, and this is where she was supposedly buried. Now, is, is there a plot hole here? Because Terminator 2 was set in 1995, right? And yeah. it's mentioned that she was she was diagnosed when they were in... Um, was it Baja? Baja? Um, Baja! <laughs> uh, I don't know why I spelled Baja. Uh, that she was diagnosed, given six months to live, but she held on and fought for three years to make sure that it wouldn't happen. So that's obviously 1997 when Judgment Day initially was meant to happen. So that would have made it 1994. So there's a... Like, did you pick up on that? Uh, what, what made it even more confusing to me is that they identified John as having been 13 mm. when he disappeared, uh, but he was supposed to be 10 mm. in the first movie. So they <laughs> aged him by three years at the same time. Yeah. So this is why this movie should be hated people. The continuity is all over the place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just a slight little nitpick there, but, um, this is, I, I like the point when, uh, oh no, they, they get the coffin out first and it's not dead Sarah Connor like he's a skeleton, everyone. Yeah. Um, filled with guns, classic Sarah Connor. Yeah. Um, she was actually, her ashes were scattered off the coast in Mexico. Poor old John, not knowing where his mum was buried, but excuse me, I guess he does mention that, that he kind of did a runner basically after she died. Um, he, John says that he was the closest thing to a father that he ever had, the, the Terminator. Uh, and then Claire points a gun, and this is kind of a cool scene. Um, you know, she's got the gun at him and John's just basically like, oh, do it, nothing's going to happen. So here old trigger finger Kate, which she's already done it once in this movie, <laughs> pulls the trigger again. Uh, this time around, uh, it's a cool lot of sequence when Arnie sort of has the, the bullet in his mouth. He's like, don't do that. Um, it, it reminds me of um, Superman Returns when he gets shot in the eye. Not quite as cool as Superman Returns, but still... Uh, and this is this is the convenience part where I'm like, okay, how the fuck do the cops know they're there? Because then the gas canisters come in, um, they they go to to rescue, you know. But Kate runs out, and like this is America, they're shooting her, <laughs> like they're like caught her straight away. I'm sorry, America, but like somebody comes running out of a hostage situation like that, they don't ask questions, they just shoot. Um, but they they manage to grab her at least. Um, and then sort of the inside of the, the grave steal with Arnie and John Connor. Great moment. This is like one of these real standout Nick style moments, which is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Kind of when he's just sort of, you know, going like, you know, I'm not the person I am, you know, just leave me here. And I do love Arnie, just the way he grabs him and like chokes yeah. him. You're right. You're not the one I want. And then he's just like, okay, okay. I'm the one you want. And then he <laughs> like puts him down. You were just dicking with me. It's like basic psychology. <laughs> it's among my sub routines <laughs> I love it I want Arnie to reply with yes I was just dicking you <laughs> um, and we get another, another actually really great scene and this is kind of like a real sort of um, going back to what you keep saying about Christina Loken being a real scary villain this bit here when she's in the, the cop car and they say like oh good news we found your fiance because obviously he's still dicky old Mark Femigalati or whatever it is but basically just the way then she kills the cops by just ramming her arm through the yeah. guy driving oh. then shoots the other guy and then just driving this cop car with a hand through this guy's body oh uh, just wow holy crap um 
And then we get a bit of a cameo here from uh, Dr. Silverman, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like, I'm here to help you. You know, I know what it's like to see things, horrible things, that live with you forever. Possible things. Possible things. <laughs> they never go away. <laughs> Um, to which then Dr. Silverman, I love just the reveal here when Arnie comes out of the thing with a coffin, <laughs> just mowing down everybody and just a look at his face and runs off. Oh, so good. Such a great moment. I remember my dad turning to me in the movies because I, I know I was 16 when this came out. I obviously didn't pay attention. I still don't pay attention, let's be honest. But my dad said, like, hey, that's a psychiatrist guy from the first two movies. Uh, you know, my dad's seen a movie a lot of times if he remembers who someone is. <laughs> but, you know, we kind of get this great uh, shooting shootout sequence when Arnie's just blowing up all the cop cars and then we get that little bit on his vision, you know, zero casualties, which is great. Um, TX shows up. Uh, there's a um, shot with a... Um, uh, uh, what do you call it? A rocket launcher, basically. Uh, she gets blown out of there. We we learn here that um they're trying to destroy that they're going to try and go and destroy Skynet. Um, because am I jumping ahead here? What am I looking at? Uh, have I written go? Oh, I've written goes in hurts. I thought I've written goes into yeah. twerk. I'm like what? <laughs> Who's twerking in this movie? Oh, right. And this is with the reveal that we find out that in the future, Kate is his wife. So, plot yeah. twist. Uh, and then we get the the sort of come with me if you want to live with get in, you want to live, get in if you want to live or something. What is it? I've written get in, you want to live, come on. Is that what she says? Yeah, I think that is it. Get in. If you want to live, come on. Yeah. Okay. So that's the slight little uh, reworking of it. Um, oh, this is, uh, sorry. Claire's done a runner. Uh, Kate's done a runner. They've picked her up, um, and then this is when the, we get another chase with the TX, and they become a convertible Hertz, and <laughs> we need a new vehicle. Um, to which I don't understand why Christina Loken doesn't run after them, because we do see this later in the movie that she's got sort of the same Robert Patrick speed. So, like, there's no reason why she shouldn't just keep chasing after them down the hill. But uh, she's been hit by a truck she gets up and changes a weapon there's a random truck guy who just sees her with a flamethrower on her head runs away um arnie john and kate find a caravan and i do like the line then when sort of john's like oh i'm not gonna you know why would i want to breed uh, be with her and arnie's like she's a healthy female of breeding age <laughs> <laughs> you know that is exactly how i found uh, mallory uh, so. <laughs> just barely a breeding age that, that's how we met <laughs> um so we learn then that uh that the tx is going to be ending up to go and kill uh kate brewster's dad uh and this is when we learn all about that uh judgment day is going to happen today it's in three hours from now that skynet is becoming self-aware it is slowly taking over the world so this virus is all skynet's fault and essentially it's all with the aim of them having to use Skynet so they can officially take over. And I, I do like this. Like, I think kind of it's, you know, the, this was kind of advertised as, like, the war is here, you know, finally we get to see it, which you kind of do. But I think as much criticism as this film gets, and as sad as it's going to be now that I guess this is not going to be part of the official timeline, it's still, I think, an interesting moment to be able to see fully how Skynet is able to take over. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. kind of that's what really works for this film. And as much as in that next week when we talk about Salvation, 
you know, issues that it has, but it's still good to see that war that we've been building up to so much. But here we've got that explanation of how that war even becomes. So, um, it, it, it's really good the explanation of it. Uh, Aunt, and sort of John's here to, he's order, trying to order Arnie, like, hey, let's go and stop this. We can go to, um, Kate's dad and sort of stop Skynet from happening to stop Judgment Day. Uh, and, uh, Arnie doesn't listen. Arnie's there to protect them. Uh, John chucks a bit of a, <laughs> That's a bit of a tanty, really, let's be honest. <laughs> like, no, I'm going to kill myself then. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm taking away from the scene. It's a great scene and Nick Style's fantastic. Oh, yeah. But if you're analysing it, <laughs> he's just throwing his toys out of the pram. <laughs> like, no, I'm not getting away. <laughs> but yeah, he grabs a gun. Basically, he's going to shoot himself. Uh, and, and Arnie, again, like, I don't feel we're giving Arnold Schwarzenegger a lot of credit because I, I really like this moment here too when he's kind of like, negative, you can't self-terminate. And then just the way he's sort of like, judging by the pupils and your, your heart rate, I say there's an 83% prob- percent probability that you won't do it. Still a 17% mm-hmm. chance he will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then uh, Kate says, uh, orders him to listen. And then we find out that basically... Uh, he has to listen to Kate Brewster because then all of a sudden he's just like, we can reach your father's place in one hour. <laughs> so uh, I might just leave it there for the moment because I might kind of lump a lot more of that together because I feel there's a, a bit going on. I feel like I've missed some things here. I don't know if I've missed some things here, but uh, yeah. Mm, no, uh, not much, uh, except I wish I could remember what it was. I, I've seen this movie so many times, you know, when you're talking about, uh, you know, 2003 being a good year, I look through all the other movies that came out in 2003 and I realized outside of probably just X-Men 2 and uh, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, I've probably seen Terminator 3 more than any other movie released in 2003, which it's crazy. It's it's not like it's one of these movies that, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm the biggest Terminator 3 fan out there, but I never have a problem watching it. And yet I, I wish I could pinpoint this one part. I even made a note about it because obviously there's that scene right where you left off. Where And it's not done so obviously. It's one of these things where it's clever when you rewatch the movie because you don't find out until the next scene when they're on the RV that she actually is the one who programmed them. But when John's saying, you know, uh, we need to do this, and he's saying no, and then Claire's like, please, and then he's like, we could reach it in one hour. It's done really subtly. But there is another part when they're in the uh, Sarah's tomb uh, that I wrote that that was the first clue that he was supposed to follow her orders. I just, I can't pinpoint what it is. So I'll, I'll try to pinpoint that by next week. Maybe um, you'll forget. I know. I'll forget. <laughs> uh, it, not much else to add that you haven't already covered. I mean, I, I love the, the psychiatrist scene, uh, although it does almost stick out a little bit like, ah, it's a little too much of an in joke for the fans to really work in terms of the rest of the story, but it's so fun to have him back. And the actor, this was apparently his last on-screen role. Like mm. he did all this voice work after that, but he never appeared in another movie after this. And you were mentioning your dad, that your dad had this, oh yeah, that's the guy from the first two movies. I don't think anybody walked into Terminator 3 thinking about the Dr. Silverman character. Um, and I feel like if you were to mention the character, people like, ah, oh, yeah, I vaguely remember it. But the way they introduce him by having him talk off camera first and then slowly step into frame, it was expertly done uh, so that the audience would have recognition just at the right time. Because I remember seeing this in a theater and everybody just sort of cracked up at that point. 
But I don't think I was thinking about this. Like, I, I, it was one of these things where he comes up on screen like, oh, yeah, he was in the first two movies. It's not you're, you're expecting anything, but it was a nice little cameo. Uh, the thing through the cop's chest, that's such a great effect. Like, perfect example of using makeup effects and animatronic effects and why so much about this movie does hold up. This is also an incredibly expensive movie when it came out, too. Uh, so they put everything they had into this, but – I mean, so was, I don't know, Return of the King. And a lot of the Return of the King effects don't hold up so well. And the the Hulk, the Hulk had an enormous budget. And those effects don't necessarily hold up so well. Um, but, but I just love the idea that, because I think all Terminator movies have to have that one really crazy, almost gross-out shot. Hmm. Um, like Arnie peeling the skin off of his arm or picking his eyeball out in the first one. In this case, it's, you know, the arm straight through the cop's chest, which... Also kind of the nod to what this series was built on, which was being sort of a slasher monster movie thing. Um, the zero casualties thing, that's a cool throwback, although uh, it does say that later on, well, we'll get to it later on, but I'll mention it here. Um, John had no part in programming this, so who knew to program it to not kill anybody else? How do they know that that was going to be the way to protect it? Like, is this something that John passed on that? No, the, you know, they can't be programmed to kill because when John sent back the T 800 for Terminator two, that was John's plan. And he didn't tell him not to kill anybody. That was 10 year old John that did. So why would John or K to the future program him for zero human casualties? I don't know. Mm. seems like you're just taking a huge risk. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, when they discover that it's all about her dad, too. Again, he was just sort of set up as a character, and you you know that's all about Skynet, but it's it's sort of faking you out here into thinking this is like Terminator 2. Oh, we need to get to Dyson because it's about stopping Cyberdyne. Oh, we need to get to the dad because it's about stopping the machines you know, from being created or whatever, Skynet from being created. Um, we're obviously going to find out more later on. Uh, but, and also just quickly mentioning all the credit in the world to that Nick Stahl scene that we, we got here where he was about to pull the trigger. Uh, you know, he, he's saying like, there doesn't have to be a war. Um, uh, I never wanted this. Even the scene earlier on, um, when they're in the, uh, the, the tomb or whatever, where he's like, I'm not the guy or whatever. Uh, you know, uh, I, I you, this is, I, I'm guessing this is where you were going when you said earlier on that, we're getting a different John Connor we haven't gotten before hmm. because he's reluctant. He has he wants no part of this. He thought he had spent, you know, years preventing this future. He finally prevented it. And now it's like, well, I don't want to do this. I'm not the right guy. And he he honestly doesn't know. You get that this is a clueless kid. What's gonna make him the war hero hasn't happened yet. So you gotta imagine even me in that situation, even me, like even <laughs> somebody as strong as me, <laughs> even Ben. <laughs> Now, come on. Uh, <laughs> Let's not get too silly now. But, but I mean, anybody in that situation, like, it was a smart move to show him at this stage in his life when he's not even a fighter yet. He He's barely seen any type of violence outside of what he saw in his childhood. He's actually had a pretty calm few years. How would somebody react to this? They wouldn't want to be the leader, you know? They would be... Uh, I guess reluctant to even think that it could be them. Uh, so th the whole direction they take John's character is great. He has a good story arc in this movie, and I, I, I'll just keep praising. Like every word, there's something about just the way Nick Stahl delivers his lines. It's not like 
the way I feel like Edward Furlong would have played this, it would have been too cool. You know, hey, I'm Edward Furlong. Edward Furlong, I don't think, has the emotional depth. And I think here we're finally getting emotional depth from John that we're really never going to get again because in Salvation, he is kind of that war hero. Uh, so, yeah, th- so many reasons why this is my favorite John Connor performance. I, I just love that that thought process that Edward Furlong's catchphrase is, Hey, I'm Edward Furlong. <laughs> hey, Edward Furlong. <laughs> Gets pulled over by the cops. Hey, it's Edward Furlong. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think you're, you're absolutely right, though, because I, you've got to also think about the thought process of John in this movie because he's lived this off-the-grid life and has assumed that Judgment Day is done. They've they've prevented it. So, you know, with all, I guess, that slight part in the back of your mind thinking, well, this has happened before it can happen again. But he's just discovered that Judgment Day is inevitable. It can't be changed. So he's got to deal with that and like, fuck, I need to be this hero again. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the layers there, you, you summed that up really, really well. Um, so really from here, um, we get this conversation in the the RV as they're driving along and finding out that they get married and a little bit more about that and why that Kate, um, he can only follow Kate's con- commands. And then we find out, I, I don't know, I like, maybe talk about this separately, but we find out that he get John Connor is dead basically on July fourth, twenty thirty two. Yeah. Happy Independence Day, and yeah. that it was he was sent back as in the the T one hundred was sent back essentially because of his connection to him as a childhood, infiltrated and murders John Connor. Does this need to be there? Like if this was visited in Salvation or something, maybe. But it kind of I feel it loses the emotional impact it's meant to have. I, d- I don't understand what the purpose of this is outside of them saying, "Oh, this is why Kate is ordering you what to do." I, I don't know. Am I missing something here? Because it just feels a bit mm. odd. I I think that the build for potential sequels was not quite as obvious at this point, but they had it in mind. Because uh, I really. I, <sighs> You don't get them going anywhere with it. And part of it is just John's reaction where he's like, oh, well, that sucks, you know, which <laughs> which is funny. But my guess is they wanted that to be what would play out in the sequels, especially because of the final line that the T-800 has towards him, which we'll get to a little bit later on. But I do get how just watching this as a standalone movie, it feels like, oh, they just sort of brushed through that. But... I remember seeing this and, and just anticipating what the sequels could have been and thinking, wow, how cool is it going to be when we eventually get into that future war? And then what's going to happen when John's – are they going to be able to find a way to prevent John from being killed? Hmm. Yeah. I mean because from memory, do we even have a Kate Brewster in Salvation? Yeah. They, they recast with Bryce Dallas Howard. Oh, is that who Bryce Dallas Howard is? Okay. Yeah. I, I I just was trying to... It's been a long time since I've seen Salvation as well. Um, so long I didn't even remember Bryce Dallas Howard was in Terminator Salvation. There yeah. we go. Uh, so from here, they're, they're going to see Kate's dad and then we, we see him again. And this is where essentially everything has been taken out. All the, the, the virus has taken over the world, basically, and they've got no choice but to switch on Skynet and try and uh, fix it. So, uh, well, I've sort of combined two scenes there, but we'll get to that. Um, whatever. Um, <laughs> they need to switch on Skynet and try to fix it. <laughs> hey, I'm Edward Furlong. <laughs> hey, I'm Edward Furlong. 
Uh, this is where we learn that it's the first time that uh, Claire, uh, only a Claire, Kate had kissed someone, <laughs> probably Claire Danes as well. And um, I see again. I always think that they, these two kiss in this movie, but they don't either, do they? So they, they don't. They, yeah, yeah. Uh, bit ahead of its time. I mean, the early two thousands, still everyone was hooking up, weren't they? Um, <laughs> so what was what's the line that Arnie says when they're sort of having this moment? <laughs> Of like, you know, oh, it was the first time I kissed some guy. And like, oh, and then Arnie's, what does he say? Like, levity is good. It relieves tension for the fear of death. Uh, yes. <laughs> Your levity is good. It relieves tension and the fear of death. <laughs> I had to rewound that scene because I'm like, what? <laughs> Just like, no. what could they say? You know what? I, um, I always misinterpret that scene too. Because it was only when I watched it this time, I remember the whole psychology thing that he's just sort of seeing, this is how psychologically you will deal with the trauma. (laughs) But the way I always saw the scene, like he's trying to get them to hook up. It's like, why don't you lay down on the couch together? (laughs) You look very comfortable. You should plow her like Kyle Reese plowed your mother. (laughs) (laughs) It was in the doggy, then it was in the missionary. (laughs) Get her pregnant. Relax. <laughs> Relax. Relax. Shut up. <laughs> hey, I'm in with Furlong. Relax. <laughs> this this whole series of episodes just evolved into running gags on yelling and Renee Russo. <laughs> I was about to say that. Hey, I'm Rene Russo. <laughs> the ultimate one line. Hey, I'm Rene Russo. Shut up, relax. <laughs> Plow your mother. <laughs> I'm gonna bust you up, man. <laughs> bust you up. <laughs> Talk to that. <laughs> it's all coarse and rough and irritating. It's just getting everywhere. <laughs> Let's just move on. <laughs> oh, I was actually I was really proud of Mallory the other day actually because we were um, in one of her workplaces and talking to one of her employees and he was sort of talking in to me one about of Star her Wars. workplaces. She works for two jobs. She's a busy woman. Um, oh. <laughs> she I was talking to one of her workmates about Star Wars and then we were talking about Attack of the Clones and we sort of mentioned about the hatred Anakin's hatred of sand to which Mallory then turned around and actually was like oh that's the whole coarse and rough and irritating thing that you guys keep saying. Yeah. He's like, well, aww. You haven't even seen it yet. You look at you. Because at the time of recording this, she hasn't seen it yet. Hopefully, because we're starting Star Wars tomorrow. Download now on the other network. Yeah. She would have watched them by then. Um, but oh, I was quite proud of her in that moment. Um, so, yes, we're back. at This is where Skynet, they've switched it on. And uh, Bruce is the one who's got to turn it on. So Bruce, it's all Bruce's fault. And then Skynet starts um, taking over everything, basically. I like that line from whoever the guy is at the Pentagon. You know, this works, you'll get all the funding you need. <laughs> well, if it doesn't, <laughs> use all that funding <laughs> to rebuild the world, mate. Um, we also have uh, Kristana Loken walking around in uniform. I like that. And yeah. uh, we see the, the very first model of the Terminator, <laughs> these sort of giant um, lost-in-space-style robots. Yeah. The T1s. Um, the T1s. I want to see a movie of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Skynet's operational. 
And then we have um, Kate running in, Daddy! And then she just gets shot, and you're like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) And then you realise that's obviously Kristana Loken. um, Because the real Kate is on uh, next to Arnie. We just get this uh, big action sequence, basically, throughout this whole military installation. Um, Daddy Brewster gets shot. Um, Skynet's become aware, so all the robots are taking over. There's a few moments here where there's some weird bits of slow motion. It's kind of a bit Die Another Day-ish, where it's kind of like random slow-mo for whatever reason. I don't know why. It's not bad. It's not as bad as Die Another Day. Hey, look, that's what Ben just said out of his mouth. Um, yeah. They end up going to Daddy Brewster's office to get the codes of things. and then he Daddy basically, Brewster. Daddy Brewster, that's who he is now. <laughs> hey, I'm so, Daddy Brewster. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else is like, Colonel, Lieutenant, <laughs> Daddy Brewster. <laughs> Call me daddy. (laughs) Relax. (laughs) You know, the sad thing is we're going to forget these uh, in like a couple of weeks. And we've got to have stupid one-liners that we think we're funny with. (laughs) Uh, That's why you listen to the best of the Oz Network coming soon. Um, but yeah, he basically says, oh, you know, um, if you go 50 miles from here, uh, you can blow up the computer and that will save everything. So they're like, okay, cool. We'll do that. Um, cause you know, I'm sure one of them knows how to fly a plane. I mean, come on now. Like <laughs> we're talking coincidences here. Can we just have a movie where literally none of these people know what to do? They get in a plane yeah. and it <laughs> blows up. <laughs> Like you and I, let's imagine if this is you and I in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> Getting them like, yeah, fly a plane, nah, you, nah, oh, give it a try. I'm sure we can work this out. <laughs> uh, what does this button do? Uh, we'll need that to live. <laughs> uh, so. Everything's getting blown up. Um, we get a great fight sequence between the TX and Arnie in the toilet. Uh, this is, I guess, influenced <laughs> so many future installments of many movies. <laughs> um, it's actually, it's ser- in all seriousness, though, it's like it's a great sequence. Like any fight in a toilet is a good time. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Literally. <laughs> I mean, we had it in Last Action Hero. Uh, not Last Action Hero, sorry, True Lies. So, kind of, maybe that influenced this. I've uh, got to go back in there. Mission Impossible Fallout. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, Casino Royale. <laughs> I do... I, I, maybe one of the most famous scenes from this movie is when uh, she wraps the legs around him and kind of turns her body. Oh, uh, yeah. That's such a cool shot. Uh, and then you would be loving the bit where she's burning his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of your favourite moments. Yeah. Um, and she basically beats him to within an inch of his life, literally, because his head's hanging off. Uh, and then she has that real sinister look on her face when she's going to reprogram him, which is actually something which... Uh, it's kind of one of these things you think, like, well, they have, I wonder why they didn't do that in last in Terminator 2, because it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, that you've got this... Now that he's good, that he's maybe got that ability to switch him back to t- Terminator 1 sort of uh, mode. So, um, I mean, as Kate and John are escaping, there's little random robots flying around trying to kill them. We get random badass moment of uh, of Kate with the gun, uh, I do like that moment, though, when they kind of look at each other. And she's like, what? And he's like, nothing. You you remind me of my mother. Uh, <laughs> so later on that night when he's plowing the shit out of her. <laughs> it's almost like he's plowing his mom. <laughs> um, as they're running down this corridor, uh, they turn on a magnet, basically, which as the TX is chasing after them, she eventually gets hooked onto the thing and starts melting. I do really hate that line when Kate's like, just die, you bitch. 
Like, yeah. That's very cheesy and over the top. Um, they run outside, they get into a plane, and of course we get that line, that's my father's plane, I trained on it. Oh, how convenient. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that one is bad. <laughs> like, it's just, again, like, just don't, like, oh, it's dumb. But um, they eventually get in the plane, they land 50 miles. Oh, no, not yet. Sorry, I'm going to get the Arnie bit first. So get away from me. <laughs> Relax. Now. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> it's actually a pretty cool scene, though, because like, he's obviously fighting the, this reprogramming. Uh, he's grabbing John. Um, and then what's that line when he's like, what is your mission? You are about to fail that mission. Um, oh, so good. Which I think was in the trailer, I think, from memory. Um, yeah. So... And I like I like kind of Arnie's reaction when he just smashes the car. Uh, that's got to be a gift, surely. Like just him smashing the car and basically shuts himself down. Uh, and this is when um, John and that fly away. I always forget that five minutes later they're going to crash into this building in a helicopter. Can a helicopter like reach the same speeds as a plane? No. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if that works that way. <laughs> <laughs> So they land at this facility, and as they're running up to this door, they realize that the codes are in the book that they got from Daddy Brewster in the safe. Um, and then, yeah, then all of a sudden, these helicopters crash into it because, again, they're super fast helicopters. Uh, why does the TX walk so slow when she's like walking towards them at this point? I don't know. Uh, Arnie comes in, crashes. Then we get the. Oh, I, I did miss the 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 bit. Uh, earlier in the facility when he pushes uh, the TX down the chute and like, she'll be back, uh, mm-hmm. which I think my dad, I remember also laughing, but then we get the I'm back bit, which I, that was definitely in the trailers with half of his head missing and everything like that. Uh, as the, as John and uh, Kate go in through the doors and go towards the elevator, we have the final battle between um, TX and, uh, and Arnie. Arnie's holding the door open as uh, Kate and John go underneath the door. Get a nice little moment between them as well. Um, what does he say? We'll meet again. And then we get the UR Terminated line for the... We've had UR Terminated more than we have Come With Me If You Want to Live. So there you yeah. go. Or I'll uh, Be Back. Uh, exactly. So that, that's the one-liner from the Terminator franchise that should yeah. be said. Uh, which is great, though. And like you mentioned before about sort of getting criticism for the emotion that she shows as she's dying... Is that not exactly what Robert Patrick's uh, the T one thousand had in Terminator two as well though? Like when he's sort of going through all those different yeah exactly like he's going through all the different forms. He's got that like painful look on his face. So what's the difference? I was going to mention. I think that the way I always saw that was her face is slowly morphing into all the people she's taken form of. When you take the form of those people. You do show emotion. So, yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking. I, I didn't even remember that Robert Patrick did it, but I, I did think of the fact that she's just – she's shape-shifting. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Then we get into what is arguably, again, I'm just going to say it, one of the greatest movie-ending plot twists of all time. It's just so goddamn good. So they're, they're down in the elevator. They're in this room, and sort of they get a few little clues early on because you kind of see a United States of America sort of – seal and then you you were going through this room and they realize that there's no computer here to blow up john's already said i've got enough c4 here that will blow up 10 supercomputers so the plan is is to go down blow it up get up in the elevator and escape but then they realize that uh, they've been duped there's nothing down here these computers are 30 years old you also see that there's like a president of the united states lectern there with cameras pointed on it uh they discover it's an old fallout shelter for vip's 
and then they slowly discover that they uh, were sent down here by Daddy Brewster and kind of helped there, I guess, by Arnie as um, a way of protecting them and that no matter what they did, Judgment Day was going to happen. And it's just it's just such a, like, wow, like, holy crap. Like, they just pull the, pull the wool over your eyes, just so done. So uh, in no way do I feel that you have any clue that this is going to happen. This is what makes this such a great twist. And it just, you are in shock. You're like, holy crap, like, they've gone to all this effort and they're not going to stop this. And then you get this radio call uh, where you hear these uh, military people sort of requesting help. And, you know, is anybody out there? And sort of, you know, I'm here, I'm John Connor, I'm in charge. Kind of, you know, this is his, the first moment where he realises it, like, hey, cool, this is me, I'm the man. And then we just get this great shot of all these nuclear bombs getting launched and blowing up the entire world. Um, and then, yeah, sort of really setting it up for, well, what won't really be followed off in Salvation, um, you know, saying that never stop fighting, the battle has just begun. And then we get a shot of, uh, I guess, Arnie's skeleton, uh, the, the Terminator with the red light going off that we see in all the movies. And just, wow. Like, I love a movie that can do this, that you just sit there and go, fuck. <laughs> like, what yeah. the hell? And, like, you don't always have to end a movie with a happy ending. Like, you can end a movie negatively like this and still have that effect. Like, holy crap. Like, what, what just happened? And this is where, I mean, this sequence alone... I think elevates this movie on a on a level which deserves so much more credit and yeah. justified with that list that I watched on YouTube saying that you know I guess bad movies that end, had a great twist and I wouldn't call this a bad movie but just this ending still and it holds up so well and what we're talking about this 16 years later but Jesus Christ what an ending and I don't know whether it's going to be credit to the script or for Jonathan Mosto's directing but there's a lot of that um, kind of trickery to the audience throughout it by having some things be so familiar because I do remember when this movie, you know, you hear about it for a long time and then when the first plot uh, summary started coming out and you see the first trailer, you're like, oh, it's another movie about them coming back in time to kill John and a Terminator has to stop it. You feel like almost a little let down. Like, it's just the same movie. I thought we'd get something different. And they almost go out of their way either through the story or the the way that they set certain things up to make you think that it is going to be more of the same. Uh, you know, with the, like I said, the we have to get to the military guy to stop Judgment Day from happening. You know, we need to uh, destroy the technology to stop Judgment Day from happening. Uh, all these things are meant to be there to make you think you know where this movie's going. And then they start surprising you with certain things. Like, for example... You know, you know from the other movies, well, John sends people back in time to protect whoever from the Terminators. So the audience has no reason to think it is anybody other than John this time that would have done it. So then when they reveal, no, John, you're dead, you're sort of like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. And the same thing with the ending here. You're just so accustomed to, we're going to do this to stop Judgment Day. And there's only so many times you could do that. If this movie had ended that way, then this movie would have been deemed a bad movie. But the ending, not only is it just such a strong ending just on its own, but it completely changes the context of the movie. You know, uh, the T-800 spends the entire movie saying, I'm not here to help you stop anything. I'm here to help you hide out. Like when they think Judgment Day is happening in three hours. And that's the other thing. You you don't realize, no, Judgment Day is now. It's not like it's going to happen in four years. 
it's happening now. And he's saying, we're going to go hide in Mexico where the fallout's going to be, you know, uh, not as bad. And then the father here, which uh, another um, minor actor, love here along with MC Ganey, uh, David Andrews. Uh, I don't know if you know from anything. And I, I know you've seen Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Pete Conrad, who's the second man on the moon. Yep. He has that small role in the beginning of Apollo 13 where he's saying, I'd like to thank everybody for coming for Neil Armstrong's dress rehearsal for my moon landing on Apollo 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played Pete Conrad in that. And there was also a mini series that Tom Hanks made after Apollo 13, which was 10 episodes about the NASA space program called from the earth to the moon. I've, I've got and, it. I just haven't watched it. I, after we, la- oh, we talked about that last year, I think on first yeah. man, I just, I just, yeah, watched it's, it. it's so good. And my favorite episode of that is the one after the Apollo one fire. Uh, it's more just the, investigation behind what happened and he plays an astronaut who sort of meant as the liaison and i mean his performance in that was like emmy worthy uh the only other thing i really know him that i mean he's popped up in a lot of things the only thing i know him that well from was um another thing we mentioned i think we were doing the uh the notebook episode um (laughs) sorry about that fair (laughs) game yeah um Fair game, or not the notebook? Sorry, Vice. Uh, I was I was going to mention the notebook for somebody else with Nick Stahl, uh, uh, but I'll stick to David Andrews for a second here. Um, yeah, when we were doing the review of Vice, they, they have loose mentions to the the real life character Scooter Libby, who worked for the Bush administration and kind of um, outed a, a covert CIA operative uh, through news leaks in just a smear campaign or whatever. And there's a movie that Naomi Watts stars in about that CIA agent, and he plays Scooter Libby in that. Again, great performance. Like, every once in a while, he'll get, like, a major role in something. You're like, wow, this guy's fantastic. Uh, And most of the time, he's relegated to small roles like in Terminator 3, where it's like, oh, blink and you miss him, you know? Um, Also, let me talk about Nick Stahl now. Just I'm going on and on about my love for Nick Stahl here. And what what people have to understand is uh, I was so against Nick Stahl playing John Connor because there was a movie that uh, I mentioned in our notebook recap on on how against James Marsden I was for years called Disturbing Behavior that came out in the late 80s or late 90s. It was like James Marsden, Katie Holmes, and Nick Stahl. And it was kind of like a teenage Stepford Wives thing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, I'm Nick Stahl. (laughs) Hey, I'm James Marston. (laughs) Hey, I'm Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes, yeah. Shut up! Uh, (laughs) Shut up! (laughs) But um, I saw that movie, and it was probably the most hatred I've ever felt towards a movie in my life. And still to this day, (laughs) I will say it is my least favorite movie I've ever seen. And Nick Stahl, I thought, was the worst thing in that. So when I heard this was a guy playing John Connor, I was so disappointed and that's why I have so much praise for performance because I had such low expectations going in for him. And every single scene he's in, even just the scene when they're in the camper talking on the way there and he finds – like I made fun of him with a, whoa, that sucks. But his delivery is so real. Like you buy him as a real guy who's in this situation. Uh, we can't uh, skip over the military stuff without talking about uh, – the deleted scene, which I encourage you and everybody else to watch over the last few weeks. Uh, so if you if you haven't watched it, this is where my opening line comes from. Jamie told me, uh, it's like, your line's not going to make it. I'm like, this is the line. I was uh, watching the scene. I'm showing it to her. I'm like, that's going to be my opening line. She's like, nobody's going to get that. I'm like, oh, they better get it. <laughs> Otherwise, they don't deserve to be watching Terminator because this is better than any of the movies. Uh, it's 
the CRS guys watching the uh, video that they put together to promote the company and what they have planned with their hunter killers and their T1s and all that. And in it, you see this guy who's uh, an army major or whatever, sergeant, who's running on a treadmill. And then they slowly pan up, and it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And you realize this is the real-life guy that they modeled the appearance of the T-800 after. And Arnold Schwarzenegger turns to the um, the camera and goes, Hi, I'm Chief Master Sergeant William Candy. (laughs) (laughs) And goes through the whole pitch for the company. Only to end on a a picture or, or a sculpt of the T-800 skull that we all know. And he turns to it and goes, hey, it's me. Which <laughs> is just maybe the funniest thing I've ever seen in any <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And it was a deleted scene. I totally understand why they didn't put it in the movie. Yes, but it would not But if you want to see the most <laughs> – no, no, not at all. But if you want to see the most hilarious deleted scene in the history of movies, watch this. Because at one point – when um, uh, the the Daddy Brewster here is saying uh, when when Sergeant William Candy's talking, <laughs> he goes, "I don't know about that accent." And you see this one just completely you know meaningless guy in glasses turn and go, "We can fix it." I <laughs> like that. his voice. <laughs> I like that guy. Just he's like, "We can fix it." You know, it is. It's just amazing. Like. I don't think I ever watch this movie and don't watch it. Uh, watch that deleted scene immediately afterwards. It is that good, people. Um, just covering most of the stuff here on the climax. Uh, more praise for Kristana Loken here. There's something that she does. It's not just incorporating things the T800 and T1000 did. You mentioned like that look she has when she's extending her pointer finger or whatever to reprogram Arnold later on. She does this very subtle thing. If you rewatch it, you'll pick up on it where eyes get slightly wider that almost makes her look like a mad woman, but her facial expression never changes. And every single dot time she reprograms a machine, I swear she does the same thing. So when she's going up to all of the machines that are built in the CRS headquarters, she's doing that. And that's another one of those things where it's like so subtle, creepy, and it makes her such a credible villain because – Obviously, you're not going to look at her standing opposite Arnold Schwarzenegger and believe her in a fight. But the way that she carries herself, like, you're just as scared of her as you are the T1. Maybe not as scary as the T1000. Um, you know, he, he had a thing for little boys. That's a lot scarier. But, uh, <laughs> Terrifying. Maybe, she, hey, maybe she does too. Uh, well, she has a thing for cops with guns. That's something yeah. different. Nice um, gun. <laughs> I like your gun. <laughs> I like your little boy. <laughs> oh, no. Robert Patrick. <laughs> Someone's going to snip that out from this episode. And they're going to use that against me one day. Oh, yeah. You're going to jail, man. <laughs> it was nice knowing you. I'll testify at your trial, though. So yeah, <laughs> against me. <laughs> <laughs> like, think about the stuff we cut out of the episode, okay? <laughs> Nobody will ever believe that you are not worse off air than you are on air. Do you know what? I, I never actually thought about that. Because you're always going to assume – I was listening to um, – this is completely off topic here. Uh, but I was listening to um, uh, Howard Stern today. Have you ever listened to Howard Stern? Are you familiar with him? Uh, yeah, I know who Howard Stern is. I've, I've heard some stuff of his, but yeah. Okay. Uh, I was listening – he was doing an interview with Jimmy Kimmel today. And they were just talking for a long time about how 
there's a couple of people Jimmy Kimmel knows of that just are so offended by Howard Stern that they would refuse to be, appear on a show, and he's not willing to tell them who it is. And um, Howard Stern's basically explained, it's like, listen, when you're on the radio, you it's the only medium where you don't have a chance to cut out the dumb things you say. And in all honesty, people out there probably assume there are much worse things that we say <laughs> off the air that we're saying on the air. They don't realize it's sheer laziness. You're actually getting the worst of it. So trust us, it does not get worse than this. We're way too lazy to edit anything out. I'm actually a nice guy. Uh, I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> With reasonable opinions. It's just, I yeah. see a microphone and I turn into a dickhead. But that is what we edit out. We edit out the nice yeah. parts of Ben. We just leave it in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not racist enough. Edit that out. <laughs> um, here's another thing that goes along with my whole ultimate timeline things where I'm like, ah, I actually kind of see T- T3 as being... You know, more relevant now than you know than just them wiping it from existence, because they say that, or, or Arnie says, you know, later on, uh, Kate's going to introduce you to her father, a military contact, and he's going to give the resistance all their best inside knowledge on the machines, and he dies here. So not only do they take out all of the lieutenants, but they actually take out the guy most responsible for them knowing about the technology. Which would also make you think, would the future now be completely different? Would would they ever get to the point where they could reprogram a T-800 to go back in time? It just has my brain working on where else this franchise could have gone if it didn't jump so far ahead. Because the, the, I don't think the plan was ever to jump all the way up to Salvation. I think they tried to work on a sequel before this that would have been taking place a little bit more immediately afterwards. Uh, but he's gone now. So it's like, do they have any knowledge on the machines ever? Is John now just the guy with an inflated ego? Is like, I'm in charge here. Why? <laughs> um, because my girlfriend's dad knows about the machines. Uh, well, okay, where is he? He's dead. Uh, did you kill him? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. But he's I heard you killed did. parents. <laughs> and Kate, she's pulling the trigger on everybody. We don't trust <laughs> you guys. There's a guy over there yelling at me. I couldn't even get a five cents. He could tell me to shut up. Yeah. Yeah, shut up! <laughs> Relax! Hey! <laughs> I for a long <laughs> Rene Russo. <laughs> we just can't play those on a loop for the rest of the year, people. <laughs> the greatest hits. Um, yeah, so when they send them... Or, or first of all, the, the fight. The bathroom fight. There was the same X-Men 2 that came out the same year. There was another big fight with another female villain, uh, Lady Deathstrike, that Wolverine has the big fight with in that movie. And I always remembered those two fights being like some of those incredible fight scenes I've ever seen. You don't realize how short they are. Uh, and as I've rewatched X-Men 2, which I still think is a near-perfect movie, uh, I realize that that fight scene is maybe too short for its own good. This one's still short, but I feel like it's exactly what it needed to be. I don't – and maybe that's because we're coming right off of watching Terminator 2 where I also thought that there was much bigger fight scenes when there's really only about a minute and a half, two minutes where you know Schwarzenegger and Patrick are even going at it on screen. But I think it's just the perfect length for this fight, especially because he is the obsolete design. He gets a couple of good shots in there, but then she basically just keeps coming back at him. And uh, I-, I love the moment where – now, you haven't lived – until you have seen Kristana Loken hit or, or Arnold Schwarzenegger hit Kristana Loken in the face with a urinal. Like <laughs> the, nah. 
and, lost it's, complete. Uh, also, and, and it's it seems like okay, well, these are jokey things, you know, head, head with a urinal, but it goes right back to that opening chase scene with the crane. Where I said they just involve the environments differently by having the crane fly through buildings and telephone poles instead of just smash into cars. Where let's use the bathroom, but let's use the bathroom. Let's put their head, scrape their face along the tiles. Let's crack a porcelain urinal over somebody's head. Um, I still think it's a great fight. Uh, And when she reprograms him too, that was a huge moment in the trailer. That's the thing that – I don't know if this is a reaction people had, but I can imagine people would have gotten upset. They gave away too much of the movie because they show him being reprogrammed. Because I remember going into this thinking that would be a massive part of the movie. Like the plot would be the T-800 is an obsolete machine. The TX can control machines. She's going to turn him on John Connor. And then John Connor has to spend half the movie running from the guy who's trying to protect him. But it's the one sequence in the movie. I almost wish we'd gotten more of that still. Um, I, I, do you feel the same? Like, do you think that they could have dragged that out a little bit longer than just a five minute block of the movie? Yeah, I think that's going back to my point when I said I, it feels like something they should have done previously. Um, because, you know, I think kind of what the first one, uh, the second one, sorry, did so well. And again, obviously, sadly, given away by the trailer is kind of that shock factor that he's not actually there to be bad. He's there to be good. And I think kind of what you you lose track of with the Terminator films is the fact that he was bad in the first one. I think kind of a lot of people forget that given that there's only one film when he does that. So I think, yeah, I agree. I think that that would have been a good moment to do because we kind of get that next movie when they sort of have CGI Arnie kind of battling it out, you know, as sort of being bad. And I guess kind of that's the twist next movie, isn't it? With um, Sam Worthington sort of being you know, good but half robot and whatever. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I, I think this should have been something that should have been played out a little bit more. But it's still great for what it is. Um, yeah. This is very similar to Terminator 2 for me, where every every single time a sequence comes up, I just keep thinking to myself, oh, yeah, this is just a good one. Oh, and then there's that other really good one that comes next. Like, oh, I love the, uh, the, the, the cemetery scene. Oh, I love the um, you know the the machines coming to life, which we barely even talked about that. I mean, that's what everybody was dying to see is the machines finally coming to life. Uh, and well, I don't feel the like rise re- of the machines. So, I mean, yeah, exactly. Kinda, <laughs> only two seem uh, to rise uh, for yeah. the most part. But like people wanted to see that, you know, even going back to Terminator Two. I mean, you only get those brief glimpses into everything. It's really not that big of a part of the movie, and I think it's more than anything. I think that's a um, it's a testament to how good some of the other stuff in this movie is that it doesn't get given credit for. That nobody ever really even talks about. I mean, we just sort of you, – you, you almost joked earlier like, oh, did I just gloss over a bunch of stuff? But you kind of did with the whole machines coming to life and the war actually starting and them killing all the people. And they're saying they're doing this to prevent any you know uh, witnesses or whatever for uh, them taking over. But like it doesn't matter in this movie because – the more interesting stuff is even just the dramatic scenes. The scene where um, you know he's choking John. It's not an action scene. And I love that moment where, where John's like, what is your mission? He goes, to ensure the survival of John Connor. It's like, you're about to fail that mission. It's, it's so good. And also the other moment, which I think all the trailers ended on. Where, um, uh, you know, I think the, the trailers that play that you're about to fail that mission, they have Arnold saying, like, desire is irrelevant. I am a machine. <laughs> Again, scary Arnold. Uh, a lot of things they did really right in this movie. Mostly that whole ending, which even before I get to the ending, uh, one of the things that they don't give away that when you rewatch the movie, you're like, oh, there's the clue there. 
uh, when he's saying Crystal Peak, you know, there's the military code so you could get to the Crystal Peak facility. And John's like, oh, that's where we could shut down the machines. And his response isn't yes. It's it's your only chance because this is everybody's plan the whole movie. Just get to safety. The world's about to end. They all know it except for John who thinks he can stop it. Uh, and when they do get there, you know, I already said I love the the moment with the TX breaking down into emotion or whatever. Uh, the effects look a little bit dated there, some of the facial effects, but it's a great moment. And I think this is my favorite year terminated line. Uh, Arnold's really good in this movie. I mean, we say that in all of these, but in some areas, he didn't have as much to work with here. But the moments like when he is being turned or this last moment where he even says to John, we'll meet again, which again, I always see that as this is the setup to when he's eventually going to kill him. Uh, there's some real good dramatic acting, and it's hard. This sounds weird to be saying, well, Schwarzenegger. It's hard for Schwarzenegger to pull this up, but it would be hard for anybody to act robotic and actually show the slightest bit of emotion where it doesn't feel off, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Nick Stahl's big speech on the end uh, is fantastic. And, you know, just Claire saying, you know, just let it go or whatever. Uh, man, Nick Stahl, seriously, I, I don't – it's not – 100% realistic to say he should have gotten an Oscar nomination for this, but when we're living in a day and age when Johnny Depp can get an Oscar nomination for a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, surely Nick Stahl in that very same year could have gotten some consideration, Golden Globe at least, for supporting actor. But because this is Terminator, it's the same thing that sort of plagued T2, all the technical awards, no credit for Linda Hamilton's performance. I think that Nick Stahl's performance is right up there. And if, if people were to rewatch this movie and really just focus on what Nick Stahl does, I think it's one of the greatest losses we have of like the last 15 years of movies that Nick Stahl did go off the rails and that he has had so many problems. And I, I'm hopeful that he can come back and really do something great after this because, I mean, so much of why that ending works is because of his performance. And the other half, as you mentioned, you know, it's it's not a bad thing to end on a downer i don't really look at this ending as a downer because the fans want to see what's to come you know in a way terminator 2's ending could be considered a letdown because real fans wanted to see that war in the future and you don't even get to see how that war would end it's just oh guess what the war never happened so in a weird way you can look back on terminator 2 and say oh i don't like that ending either with this what the fans really want is they want that war for the future. So this is obviously in setting up sequels, what the fans, the way they wanted it to end ideally. It's like, hey, we're finally going to get there. We're finally going to get to the war. Little did they know that Salvation wasn't going to you know, be exactly what they wanted. But this is sort of the end of the classic Terminator movies. And if I do have one regret, even though I keep saying, oh, I can comfort myself with these alternate timelines. If I have one regret with what we're going to miss, it is that an ending this solid – is not going to have its final story told because they did continue it in Salvation. That's still a continuation with Claire and John and everything. Uh, I don't remember if it has anything to do with Genesis at all, if there's any ties to it. But I just I hate when movies don't get a chance, even if a movie's not perfect. I hate when it doesn't get a chance. I don't get a chance to find out how the story would have ended. And I would love to see how this war would properly end with these characters. I love how you called it Claire. You've caught my disease. Claire! Oh! <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what it is? This is no joke. It's because I know the character uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's going to be playing her in the next movie, and I keep <laughs> talking about Bryce Dallas Howard, 
and thinking about Jurassic Park now. <laughs> Bryce Dallas, Texas is, is better yes. than for um, just before we get into the box office and reviews and things, just reading some of the interesting production elements of this film about sort of James Cameron wanting to do this in the late 90s and everything that sort of happened about this being in uh, development hell for so long. Um, and I love how Schwarzenegger initially refused to star in it if James Cameron wasn't involved. And then um, Cameron, James Cameron was basically like, no, nah, just do it anyway, <laughs> and said he didn't want to direct or produce it because he disliked the idea of working for somebody else's script in a story he originated. That's James Cameron saying that. Um, and, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, kind of just so tied into running for governor at this stage, kind of having a lot of politicians, journalists, and all these people coming to the set of this film, basically, <laughs> to talk while he's filming it. And Arnie got paid... $29.25 million to do this movie, plus 20% wow. of the profits. So he made it close to $50 million for this movie. Um, although he agreed to defer part of his salary to prevent it from being filmed in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. No, I do not want to go to Canada. You keep it in Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, you're dead to me, Arnie. <laughs> um... So, I guess in terms of the reaction to this, it honestly actually didn't get as bad reaction at the time. I think you might have said it before, like sort of when it came out. It was It's not like this was hated when it came mm-hmm. out. I mean, it still holds a 6.6 uh, out of 10 um, based on 205 reviews uh, with an average rating and a 69% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and it says, although T3 never reaches the heights of the second movie, it is a welcome addition to the Terminator franchise, which I think is probably a fairly good summary. Uh, mm-hmm. Metacritic, 66 out of 100, and it's um, a B-plus on the cinema score. So, again, that's pretty high up, I think, compared to what people uh, think back of this film. Uh, James Cameron apparently said at the time of this released, he said, in one word, great. <laughs> um, but after the release of Terminator Salvation... James Cameron said that he felt his first two films were better. <laughs> How un-James Cameron-like of him to say that. <laughs> Can I just point this out? I've been dying to say this. Um, James Cameron fully endorsed Terminator Genesis after meeting with the director and the writer and uh, I believe even being on set. He fully supported and endorsed Terminator Genesis. Um, hmm. So, But, but I, I do think that especially coming off of Terminator 2 – you know, which was sort of his his crown jewel. I mean, you know, obviously Titanic had come out, but even in James Cameron's eyes, like James Cameron has even come out and said he made Titanic just so he could do the dive scenes. He didn't care about the movie. Terminator 2 was like that that was what he hung his hat on Uh, to do a follow up to that, that he had no involvement in to even be for James Cameron to be complimentary of something, period, without any you know, butts added in there, <laughs> uh, you know that's saying something. And you know he only did Avatar because his weird connection of plant sex and connecting, like, things. And what, don't they, like, have, like, antlers that they plug into plants or something and have sex? It's been a while since I've seen Avatar. <laughs> Maybe about <laughs> ten years for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, A.O. Scott of the New York Times said the film is essentially a B-movie, content to be loud, dumb, and obvious. Roger Ebert gave it two and a half stars, remarking essentially one long chase and fight, punctuated by comic, campy, or simplistic dialogue. In all fairness, isn't that all of the Terminator movies? Exactly. Three? Um, now, 
Terminator 2 might have won four Academy Awards, but Terminator 3 won the creme de la creme of awards. It was awarded the California On Location Award for Assistant Location Manager of the Year for Leanne Emmett. So, look, who needs four Oscars when you can win that? Uh, It also took home the Top Box Office Film Award at the ASCAP Film and Television Music Awards for Marco Beltrami. And James Cameron won Worst Trilogy at the Yoga Awards (laughs) in 2000. Is that because it lacked yoga? (laughs) <laughs> that is such a weird award. He's it was also not even no- involved in this movie, and he won the award for worst. Always winning the bloody awards, James Cameron. Yeah. Um, it was also nominated for a Teen Choice Award for Choice Movie Actor. Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't win, and it also was nominated for Best Action Sequence at the MTV Movie Awards in 2004 uh, for the Champion Crane Chase, but didn't win. I'd be intrigued. Well, that might have gone surely to Matrix Reloaded because that was um, probably. Yeah. Obviously, the epic car chase here. Is there a... Can we see here if I can find it? Best action sequence? No. Uh, Battle at Gondor from Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Oh. Won that. The, I, uh, I'm Ma- a Lord of the Rings fan, but that is like the most overrated sequence ever. The Matrix chase didn't even make it. The escape from Mongolia from Charlie's Angels Full Throttle made it. That is terrible. What, what the hell? Jesus Christ. Okay. MTV movie awards. I don't take you seriously anymore. Um, box office wise, uh, this made a total of 150 million domestically, a uh, further 283 million worldwide. So a grand total of $433,371,112 worldwide. It is uh, second overall in the Terminator franchise. So um, it, it only made $50 million less than T2. Uh, and of course, I guess T2, that's based over a few different releases as well. So. Um, there's that, um, opening weekend, it made $44 million, it opened up number one, narrowly beating out the iconic Legally Blonde 2, Red, White and Blonde, uh, by $20 million, <laughs> also opening that weekend was Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas, uh, Swimming Pool also opened up that weekend, as did, uh, La Commune and Gasoline, which made $2,885, uh, also at the box office that week, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle in its second week, Finding Nemo, Hulk, um, still there. So, yep. And in 2003, it was the eighth biggest film, um, which if you put that in 2018 uh, terminology, that was Mission Impossible Fallout. So, uh, and it's not quite on some of the years we've looked at. I mean, you look at the top ten, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Finding Nemo, uh, First Parts Caribbean, Matrix Reloaded, Bruce Almighty, X2, Elf, uh, Terminator 3, Matrix Revolutions, and then Cheaper by the Dozen. So that was your... It's a huge uh, year. Yeah. I, I just remember so much hype being around 2003 with the mm-hmm. movies that came out that year. And realistically, though, a year that... I mean, yeah, there's some good ones in there, but I'd say a lot of these ones have kind of fallen off in terms of their yeah. notoriety. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Anyway. Uh, anything you want to add on the box office or any of the reviews before we get into our keywords? No, let's get into the keywords. All right, um, sexy woman month potentially. Uh, well, we've been pitching that for it's... years. Vehicle driving by itself month. <laughs> um, talk to the hand gesture. Oh, month. okay. What's um, on that? Number one is Terminator Three. Number two, Ali G in the house, the movie. <laughs> Uh, number three is a movie that really looks like Jamie should be watching. It's called Kickoff, and the, the movie is a bunch of shirtless men. Um, and number four is the television show Lab Rats, the episode Drone Alone. 
What about get it. Magnet Month? Oh, yeah. Haven't you always wanted to cover Magnet Month? Yes. What's number uh, What's on that? Escape Room. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deadpool 2, which I swear comes up on everything. Ocean's <laughs> 8 and the original X-Men. How is X-Men lower than Ocean? Is there a bigger magnet in Ocean's 8 than there is Magneto? Shouldn't they be all X-Men movies? You literally have a character yeah. called Magneto, but no, that's <laughs> not good enough. Because Deadpool 2 exists. Um, I, I'm on board for expanding Breast Month. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> featuring Scary Movie 2, Terminator 3, American Pie Presents The Book of Love, and you mentioned Howard Stern before. We could watch a Howard Stern movie, Private Parts. Um, so I know Jamie wants Male Stripper Month. <laughs> yep. Uh, featuring Little. What is Little? Well, I don't think Jamie would appreciate that if it's a Male Stripper's Month. Um. Also, kids, rough night, and Magic Mike's number four. <laughs> wow! What is with these lists? Okay, he's. Oh. A few... <laughs> I I I hope you found the same one I found. I found like a good ten in a row here. <laughs> yeah, you go first. Uh, spontaneous orgasm. <laughs> Surely, when Harry met oh. Sally's number one on that. Uh, number one is Nymphomaniac, Volume 2. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> number two is Terminator 3. Number three is Bruce Almighty. And number four is Orgasmo. Uh, I've seen Orgasmo. It's actually not that good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm liking Breast Covered by Hair Month, Female Rear Nudity Month, Elevator Shaft <laughs> Month, uh, <laughs> Barcode Month. Uh, <laughs> what's Barcode Month? <laughs> I gotta know what's on barcode list. Terminator Genesis, followed by Idiocracy. Idi- idi- I can never say that word. Idiocracy. Idi- Idiocracy. Whatever that movie is. Terminator 3 Rise of Machines and Repo Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. Um, let, actually, hang on. Armageddon Months. Now, come on. Armageddon better be number one on that list. Yeah. Hang on. No, it's not. Battlestar Galactica, followed by AI, Artificial Intelligence, Constantine, and War Games. The movie is called Armageddon. It's not even in. Like, I'm scrolling down here. I'm into, like, the lower 20s, and it's not even made the list. What is wrong with bloody IMDb? Do you know, I found... um, This one's really good here. Terminatrix Month. (laughs) We have... Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles, Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines the video game, and Terminator 3 Redemption the video game. Well, I'm going to top that with Restaurant drive Through Month uh, featuring <laughs> Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, Goodbye Lennon, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, episode 20.19, and Kitchen Nightmares, episode Mangia Mangia, part one. <laughs> Much better than part two. Uh, what are we doing with this? Are we buying it, renting it, or bidding it? I am going to buy it. And I, I, I think I'm glad that, you know, people's opinion are starting to come around to this one a little bit. I'm going to make the argument there are a lot of things with this movie that are stronger than even the first one. Um, and the things that people say are wrong with this movie, I don't feel are that much different from the first two movies. And I, I love the ending, but I also love all the other stuff in the middle. I think that it's, it's, it's an all-around really entertaining movie that has some surprisingly good dramatic stuff in here that you didn't see coming. I uh, completely agree. Buying it too. You, you're not bored in this movie. Like you might, Mm-mm. sure you can cringe at a comedic line here and there, which I think you summed it up well. But 
I, I don't think you walk out of this thinking like this is bad. It's in no way are you ever bored. I think I, I said at the beginning. I looked up at one point and go fuck. We've watched an hour and a half of this movie. We're at the end now. Like and you just it just goes by so quickly. So yeah, I, I think this is a buy. I think if we were to rate them right now, where would you put this at second or third? See, this is where people might hate me, but I'd put this slightly higher than Terminator One. I, I think I would too. Yeah, it's and. Maybe it is partly because this is one of the ones I grew up watching more. Um, but I think that the ending just sells it. And, and if you go back and watch the first Terminator compared to the other movies, I don't feel it's as it was innovative for what it was. But I think they topped it so much with Terminator 2. And I feel like this one just has that extra thing going for it with the whole end of the world angle. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I would do exactly the same thing. So, yep, there we go. Next week, uh, we're into, the, you know, seemingly getting worse. <laughs> Terminator <laughs> Salvation. Uh, look, again, I don't mind Terminator Salvation. It's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, so, I mean, my opinion might change. But I remember seeing this at the movies, and then I think I watched it, like, when it came out in DVD at the time. And I I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, but, yeah, it's been a while, probably even longer since I've seen Terminator 3, to be honest with you, to really fully remember it. But I definitely remember not hating it. And I actually was quite surprised, I remember when this came out, that everyone's like, oh, that was so bad. I'm like, really? It wasn't that bad. So, yeah, Terminator Salvation. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I my brother and I went to go see this on opening night. And I think we both walked out going like, wow, we're shocked that that was as good as it was. Like, we really enjoyed it. And then maybe about six months to a year later, I saw it when it was on DVD. And I'm like, um, that's not as good as I remember it being. Uh, and certainly not bad, just it lost a lot for me uh, based on my initial reaction of it. Uh, the only other time I've seen it since then, and we're talking, what, it's been 10 years now since this came out. Uh, it was on TV, and I sort of just watched it tuning in and out, not paying close enough attention to really form an opinion. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe enough time's passed, and you know, having been let down by Genesis, I'm going to go back and have a new appreciation for it. Uh, and maybe I can just get to the bottom of what didn't work about it for me the second time. Well, we will be back next week to talk about that. And remember, tomorrow, Star Wars begins. Um, Star Wars Episode 1, our first look at Elder Star Wars. I know you're pumped for that. So that'll be tomorrow if you're listening to this and, of course, on the day that this is released. But in the meantime, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever good podcasts are sold. Please do leave us some feedback at the same time too. We always appreciate hearing what you want to say about us and the show in general. And it obviously helps it get it out there a little bit more in terms of... Um, being noticed essentially because that's all what i'm about apparently and instagram we're on instagram as well because you know we don't post pictures of cats we post <laughs> pictures of other things uh but it's been fun terminator 3 rise of the machines if you haven't seen it in a while we recommend going to watch it again because it really isn't that bad that you remembered it at the same time my name is ben and i'm going off to relax <laughs> and my name is colin and desire is irrelevant i am uh shut up Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.